0: You may now push the record button. I did? (laughs) Oh. Well, shit.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. All right, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. This is episode number 458. Uh, We you stop? No, 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 you
0: can't. Are we going to say the numbers in the beginning of the show, or are we not? Because I think for a while you skipped, and now I don't know what's happening.
1: Uh, Well, I I just figured 458 sounded like a cool number, so I was going to (laughs) throw it in there. You know what I mean? We're only going to tell
0: you guys the numbers when we like the numbers.
1: (laughs) I don't know, Owen. I think having 458 podcasts under our belt is pretty goddamn good. I don't know. It's the years Just have saying. flown by, and we've <laughs> aged horribly. Thank God
0: we didn't do videos in the beginning. They'd see how young and hopeful we were, <laughs> and you know what we've turned into now. Yes. So
1: this is true. Yeah. So, uh, welcome back. Last week uh, we had the uh, the episode with me and Rob. Now we've never done an episode with me and Rob.
0: Uh, you know, it. it and I could hear the fanboyness squealing off of you when I listened to the episode. It was like it's just gonna be you and me, Rob. I'm like, oh no, oh no, this is a trial run of my replacing. Oh God, <laughs> uh, here it goes. He's planning. He thinks I'm gonna get Rona in Florida and die, and he's setting everything up. Yes. Yeah, so. Never.
1: It's like I knew it. So, no, so yeah. I'm going to yeah. tell a story about uh, that real quick before we get forward. But, um, you know, me and Owen were recording at the beginning of June, like f- like all these episodes. <laughs> Gangbusters.
0: Like, yeah, We had so
1: many episodes in the bank that like we didn't record anything for like two weeks. <laughs> and then you went away. And I must I went have the misjudged po- <laughs> your, your departure. <laughs> we were supposed to record one more and we never did. <laughs> yeah. I misjudged your departure because I thought that we were going to be recording last week. And then I was like, uh, I said, oh, wait, is he leaving for Florida this week?
2: <laughs> and hey, you're like, was, yeah,
1: I leave on Thursday. Yeah. I was like, well, I guess there's no show this week. And I'm like, shit, what do I do? Well, All it was right. like, it was one of those things where I'm like, Eric's,
0: Eric's got one more in the pipe, right? Yeah. No, he would told me if we needed to record.
1: Eric's got this. Eric's fine. Uh, be, I, I it's it. fine. Yeah.
0: Anyway, um, uh, you know. whatever. You
1: get a cool episode with Rob. It was awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Was that one you actually listened to? I, mean... I
0: did listen to it oh, because, okay. right, um, right. I, I finished the audio book, um, that I was listening to in the airport and I'm like, what am I going to listen to? And I'm paging through and there was a new NPR episode and, um, it's Eric and Rob and I'm like, oh, well, hell yes. And I just hit that <laughs> because, um, you got, we were talking in that chat with you, me, Rob, Keith, and Matt, and you were like, uh. Uh, we only we like, oh we 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 only said like one or two bad things about you. I'm like, well now I have to know what they've said. So <laughs>
1: that's the way we got you to listen. It, it is, that was the
0: hook. <laughs> yeah, that guy. So damn
1: it, I just listened for two what? hours and they said nothing. Yeah, they, they said nothing. <laughs> I know. it was three hours. So that <laughs> yeah. conversation is uh yeah, me and Rob have that about once a week, that conversation. <laughs> like, you know, we're on the phone for a few hours. Several of them bad. sounded
0: like you guys were gonna drift off into the <clears throat> Just think, man, how big the universe is. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, guys, like reel it back. All but
1: right. That's our- no,
0: it was it was a good episode. It was um, it was good shit. It was good stuff. And I get I, the, I, I need to get the two of you to go to Australia. If I have to put you in a box, because at this point, the two of you are so like withdrawal at this <sighs> point. It nuts. It's yeah. you guys gotta just get the hell out of here. Yeah, man. So
1: it's killing me. It's killing me, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got uh, that. You know.
1: (laughs) I have to ask, man. How's the tortoise? Oh, he's fine.
0: (laughs) He's fine. Thank you for that. I'm like, I am also seeing her. But, yes, the tortoise was there.
1: I would assume (laughs) that she's fine, too. Well, dude,
0: it's like we... Here's the other thing. We went to Gatorland. um, And, uh, you know, we walked around. It was a fun time. We did the whole little tourist thing of, like, oh, would you like to sit on an alligator? I'm like, I've never touched one. Like, yeah, shut up. Move. (laughs) Like, it's... (laughs) Take the tape off him. Let's do this for real. But um, uh, they had a sulcata at Gatorland. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. The biggest sulcata I've ever seen. And I'm like, you've you've doomed us. Look what you've done. Look at this. Look at this animal. <laughs> and then think about the thing we have at home. Look what you've done to us. And, yeah, like, and I'm like, people are probably staring. I'm freaking out in front of this tortoise habitat. <laughs> like, it, going does like, he not like fucked. the tortoise We're, so much? What are the hell? Look at how like, big I mean, it is. Like, yeah, yeah I... It was a moment, but, um, but no, it was good. Uh, uh, I also went to the Bavard Zoo down there, which was, it It was a small zoo, but it was a nice kind of tiny zoo that had uh, the enclosure, like, spaces kind of disappeared. And a lot of their Florida native stuff, they just put, like, a fence up and stuck the animal in there, and they're like, ta-da. So, <laughs> Can't um,
1: get any more it, natural than that, right? No,
0: but, dude, they had a Bushmaster. Oh, shit. And I've never seen one in person before. Hmm. So it, it's like on the ground underneath leaf litter, like, you know, what a bushmaster does. Right. I'm like, do something, do something, move, do something. I'm like, I've become that person at a zoo that I hate. And I'm like, come on. Nice. <laughs> I want to see you. It's like emeralds and people are like, wow. I'm like, no, those are crap. Like get the bush. <laughs>
1: it's, with oh. a stick. Somebody open this door. It's like, yeah. Um... Do you find that when you go to these, um, you know, rep, like Gatorland or, uh, you know, that you uh, get in contact with the, the keeper or or the person that's doing the presentation and... You start, remember, like, sort of what happened to us when we were about to swim with saltwater crocs. Jump in crocs, the croc you know, thing. Like yeah, well. You start talking, and then they're like, oh, you keep reptiles? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that actually happened. Yeah. We were signing up for, at, at Gatorland, you could, like, for five bucks, they'll let you be on the fence to throw meat at the big gators. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. listen, and I are like, okay. We're like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. If we feed them, we get to keep them, right? Yeah, like, right. it's, and this is, like, the breeding pond, so, like, they've got, like, they all, they're, massive animals with scars and one's got a messed up eye. And they're like, that's plague. Oh my God. dear God. (laughs) Like, it's like, so the dude's like, oh yeah, no, you're not going to be scared. Right. And Melissa just rolls into like, oh, we have all these things at home. He's got all these snakes. He's got all this stuff. So the dude's like, oh man, do you ever like slice the egg on the top and just let him sit there? And I'm like, no, (laughs) like it's no, he goes. We yeah. We try. again, you know, We uh, we have some ball python friends in mine Do that, and you know. Uh, here at the zoo, we kind of just let them hatch on their own. I'm like, that's what I do. So, mm. but yeah, it, it's you, you kind of get talking with some people if they're into reptiles. It's
1: yeah. I would think that of... those you know those keepers and whatnot are 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 with the general public. You know, a good percentage of the time, and right? Asking those silly you know. Well,
0: dude, they had the they had the photo thing where you can go and hold a uh, reptile, yeah. say hold a baby gator with its uh-huh. tape shut, or a pastel ball python. Yes. I
1: know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Ooh, it's a pastel. Oh how, my God. How did you know that?
0: I, I know. Let's think it's like it, Gatorland had this big thing, which, which Gatorland was, was nice. It was, it was, um, I think it was really cool. I liked their setups with their salties. Um, and then how close you could get to the gators and stuff like that. Um, the one issue I had is they had the Burmese python enclosure, mm-hmm. and it was filled with four um, albino labyrinths. and I'm like, what? <laughs> you just go to a show and be like those? No, like it's. <laughs> well, at least they picked a good <laughs> one. You yeah. couldn't get like a wild one. Like no one's gonna find that. Like are you kidding me? So it. But it was cool. Um, and then I went I went herping with KJ on Monday. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that we felt, saw a couple of gopher tortoises a bunch of pygmy rattlesnakes that which fan they, ass. dude they have small dog syndrome they're like this freaking long but they are so like they're they're rattling and you can't hear it cuz they're so damn tiny <laughs> and, and they're you can't you like I'm like I could lean in close I'm like venomous snake no no I'm okay so um and it was popping around I mean they were it was perfect conditions it was near sunset it had just rained and everything came out Pygmies, a yellow rat snake. I saw two gopher tortoises, which they're bigger than I expect because like, you hear like, gopher tortoise. No, it's like this, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's big, and I'm like, I want to touch it. Wait, against the law. <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> nope, no. So, um, and then there was an alligator. Like we were driving, and there's a juvenile alligator tromping around. So KJ whips his truck out, and we jump out, and he's like, dive on it, and I'm like, yeah, okay. So. <laughs> It jumps into the undergrowth. KJ's in it, like, and he's thromping around. He's like, God, I hope I don't step on a diamond back. I'm like, that would make this whole trip a lot more interesting. <laughs> so um, he's trying to flush the thing. I'm coming around to the path, and I'm looking at him, and all of a sudden I hear something by my feet, and it's the alligator. It is now between my legs. And I'm like, so I try to jump at it, and it dives away, and now I'm on the ground. And then I jump at it, and jump at it again, and it runs away, and then it's just gone. So I'm sitting there and it's like God, I missed. I, I, I've I've slowed up in my older age. <laughs> Eighteen-year-old Owen would have got that thing. Like That's and right. I was mad the whole time. It's Man. like God damn, sacrifice your body. Who cares if he bites the hell out of you? We've been there before. So
1: yeah. I mean, you've was... been chased by the most deadliest uh, venomous snake in Australia.
0: Yeah, I know. Right? I mean. <laughs> Brown snake. I mean, come on. <laughs> Juvenile gator gets yeah. me to stutter step. I'm. I, disgusted with myself. Oh man! So, but no, it was, it was a nice trip. It was a good thing. It was uh, awesome. The entire time I'm, we're driving. I'm like, I need to find a the entire time I'm with KJ. I'm like, we need to find an Eastern diamond back because, you know, I'm not going back to PA where Eric's like, I've seen timbers and coppers. I'm like, I need an Eastern diamond back. <laughs> need it. Yeah. And we so it was not from lack of KJ trying. It's from, um, it was one of those weird things where it rained a little bit, Conditions were great. You had giant storm clouds everywhere. Snakes were all over the place. The road was nice and warm. And then right before sundown, it rained again, and then everything just stopped. Wow. Not a single animal was out there. Wow. It was like just that one more rain caused everybody just to...
1: Shut down. Pause. Yeah. Wow. So. Easterns are an impressive animal, man. They are.
0: Yeah. That, you wouldn't have to lean close to hear that rattle. No, so, no, 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 no. Yeah. But no, it was it was cool. Um, next time I go down, I'm definitely going to try to hit up KJ again to see if I can go hunt for some more. E- now now I'm determined. Now I want that eastern. Yes. Yeah. That uh, yeah, no, was cool.
1: My yeah, my dad had one of those. But when you saw the difference between the westerns and the easterns, the first ones he the first rattlesnakes he got were westerns, and then mm-hmm. you know they were smaller and um, they were cool. You know, it's the first time that I saw a rattlesnake, and then. He he got the eastern, and when you know he brought it home, and its head's like that big, you know, (laughs) it's like as big as your hand. You're like, what's the thing is, KJ, you know, KJ and
0: I were talking, and he says that every once in a while he'll be driving down the street, and you'll know the way an eastern will be, like apparently they hold their head up and they hold their tail up, and you see anything moving like with a U kind of shape like that. Right. or like a a canoe kind of shape right that eastern
1: okay and
0: he says he's been thrown off every once in a while cuz he'll be driving and you'll see like this tiny fat rattlesnake and he'll be like oh, it's a baby eastern no it's just a really fat pygmy like it's just <laughs> like a really really big pygmy right and he's like holy shit so it's it's That's just cool. one of those things so it was it was cool i enjoyed it it was my little reconnect with the whole and the entire time he's like what was Australia like? What was this like? What was that like? I really want to do it. I really want to do that. He's hardcore into the herping thing, man. He's like, he he's like, he's determined to find every single snake in Florida. And then he's also like, oh, I got spots in Georgia. Dude, he's killing it. And he's telling me that he's going to go herp South Florida in a couple weeks. And he's like, oh, it's almost berm hatching season. I'm like, no way are you going to find baby berms? He goes, dude, I'll send you pictures of me holding handfuls of them. I'm like, please don't. Like, I don't know if I want to see that. Like, I kind of do, <laughs> oh, but I also cool kind of. No. I would Did, like to see that. Go find your own berms, dude. Yeah. This one and this one. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, wild
1: wild caught berms. Like These pythons. Yeah. <laughs> exact locality shit. data. You know, there's no, uh, oh, yeah. no arguments.
0: Think about it that way. I mean, like, it, it, and some of the rules in Florida are, I think, that you could. Um. Isn't
1: Florida grab, going through some shit right now?
0: I have no idea right now, dude. Yeah. Well, except, you know covid stuff which was fun
1: but uh, yeah 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 i mean the uh i i thought they passed some kind of legislation
0: they they did they did i was reading about that because uh, melissa and i were looking at it um uh against tegus and iguanas
1: oh i thought retics weren't in there too no
0: retics retics are already there i mean they just what they did is they added iguanas and tegus to the same list that retics berms rocks anacondas and stuff of that are all on in Florida. Gotcha. Apparently you cannot reproduce them unless you have a certain like educational permit license or zoological license. Okay. Uh, so they're like, I was reading the whole thing that they're giving people up to a certain time to separate their animals and make accommodations for the animals. Cause they want to make sure that if any eggs are going to get laid, it's before uh, January, 2021. So, huh. yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Dicey.
1: Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're going to do... Um, so, yeah, tonight we're going to be uh, switching gears a little bit. Uh, I thought we would mix it up and um, talk about knobtail geckos. We're still in Australia. We haven't ventured out. You know, we're still, we're still in our favorite, our, our happy place, if you will. Um, but we're going to be talking with Phil Wolfe. Some of, some of you might know him from Snakes and Stogies um i think well let's welcome to the show man how you doing doing, (laughs) i'm gonna ask you a question like i didn't introduce you i mean you have to bring him on first before you can ask him questions (laughs) yeah i've only been doing this for nine freaking years what do you guys do that like every what couple of days or something it seems like
3: you guys well their lungs would give out i mean jesus christ well, it, see, Justin smokes cigars way more than I do because he works in a tobacco, you know, in a cigar shop. And right, right. I smoke maybe one or two a week, but he smokes every day. And it started off as being, like, just supplemental, having fun, two dudes talking. You know, we were having these long, in-depth conversations off camera. And we were like, you know what, let's just do, you know, Instagram live <laughs> and go from there. And now it's right. on YouTube. Right. Right.
1: That's cool, man. Yeah. I like the – uh uh the, the uh... Laid back feel of the uh, conversation, if you will, you know, just like uh, yeah, feels like a bunch of guys just shooting the shit, you know, that kind of thing.
3: So. Yeah, that that that's the goal, man. Yeah. We're doing yeah. it. Cool.
0: That's cool. awesome. I mean, Justin gives um, cigars to everybody else I know. I still haven't got one yet, but you know, we'll. Oh man. He and I will deal with that
3: later. So. Well, I actually I brought select sticks for you and Eric at Southeast Carpet Fest, and neither one of you attended, unfortunately. <laughs> So, oh. that's just Damn. It. All right, that was good. That
1: was <laughs> I had to work. I don't know what Owen's excuse was. Owen,
0: uh, Owen, Owen, Owen doesn't need excuses. So <laughs> Owen doesn't need He got married
1: or engaged or whatever.
0: Hey, shut up. Oh,
1: man.
3: <laughs> well, and I, like, mean, I plan on I plan on coming up to Northeast Carpet Fest, and you know, the one time that I finally make it up there, I'm going to forget my whole stick box. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Luckily, you
0: have a whole year to remember because we're still <laughs> That's we're true. still still getting flagged for that one. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. yeah but sucks, anyways, but... let's uh, let's start back on the happier note. Um, <laughs> Phil, why don't you tell us <laughs> what got you started into reptiles?
3: Well, I mean, it it's uh, it's pretty much as like we all do. You know, leopard gecko, rose hair tarantula when you're a kid. And, you know, it kind of spirals, and I got into snakes, man. I just love snakes, and. I did. uh, I worked for a couple pet shops that were mom and pop. I worked for a couple, you know, corporate chain places. And my mom was completely anti snake, as most of our parents were. And uh, I went up working at Underground Reptiles retail store. And I was like 18. And uh, I was opening the shop by myself. And one of the guys that used to work there, um, he wasn't like a venomous guy at all, but he was just there. And he said, Hey, man, you really need to sit on some of these venomous classes that they have because. You know, you don't want to open the store one day, and God forbid something happens, and there's a cobra on the floor. You need to know, like, what to do. And, man, I got hooked. It was it was just solid from there. I was a venomous guy from there, and I did that for a bunch of years. And, you know, I worked for this importer and that importer and this shop and that shop, and it wound up being that I went up teaching the class. And now I've been teaching the venomous mentor class at Underground for probably 13, 14 years now.
0: That's awesome. I mean that that, that that's yeah. really cool. I mean, so what was the? I mean, aside from like your kid, you know, uh, tarantula and leopard gecko and stuff like that. What was the animal that kind of brought you into reptiles deep? Like, what was that? What was that main? What was the pebble that caused the landslide?
3: Honestly, man, this is gonna sound so cliche because we're on this show right now, but rescuers down under, bro. <laughs> <laughs> rescuers done under just did it.
0: You yeah, uh, yeah. Young Owen was a little disappointed when he found out golden Eagles are not that big. So, right, uh, right. Was...
3: <laughs> well, like I always think it's hilarious because if you watch the beginning of the movie, they're yeah. at Uluru, you know, and then the rest of the movie is like 1300 miles North in like <laughs> Northern territory, almost to Darwin. Cause you look at the landscape as an adult and you're like, that kid didn't, you know, ride a that kangaroo not miles. That did not happen. <laughs> Yeah. But that's it, man. It was it was, you know, going into pet shops as a kid and you know, I, I actually I grew up the first half of my life, well not half of my life. I was fifteen when I moved to Florida and from mm. New Jersey originally. And you know New Jersey's got some strict, you know, reptile laws and permits yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Right. And my mom was basically like, Listen, you know, enjoy the leopard gecko and the bearded dragon that you have, you know, and then, you know, we might be moving soon for dad's work and we'll see what happens. And I got to Florida and the gloves came off, you know. Now there's <laughs> reptiles everywhere. And now you've got places like Underground and Strictly Reptiles and, you know, all these old-school herpers, old-school importers, old-school exporters. And it just kind of falls into it, you know. And Australia is the best. There you go. (laughs) I
0: I like it. That works. So um, can you kind of tell us a little bit of some of your experiences with, like, in the reptile hobby? I know you said that you do the – Venomous classes, but you know what other animals have you kind of come across that maybe stuck in your mind a little bit?
3: So I did a, I did a lot of cobra stuff and a lot of I did a lot of like high speed lapids because like I went through that kind of part of my life and I still love high speed lapids But now in my my older years, as I should say, <laughs> I kind of focus on uh, some of the more terrestrial, uh, unique terrestrial vipers. And I, I got into a lot of arboreal stuff, some and atheris stuff like that. But um, basically i kind of went through phases just like everybody else did but the one thing that always stuck was morelli man carpets are carpets you know yeah and uh i i took a break from snakes for a while and i had like maybe like 10 or 15 just to kind of like keep me going and and then i actually started talking to justin and jake okay. and billy and them and becoming more friends with them and like it's re-sparked the whole surge of my passion hmm. and uh and now I've got a I've got a handful of carpets. I just got a, a baby Queensland water python, and uh, <laughs> and then I and I and you know it's just it's it's going. But knobtails was always a goal, and I just okay. remember being a kid, and and like man, I really want to get into these knobtails, and nobody has them. I've never even seen one in person, and oh my god, I see them on you know kingsnake.com, and I see them in Reptiles magazine when I was a kid, and I'm like oh, one day one day, and then I was like wait a minute. I'm a grown-up. I'm, I'm a grown-ass man. I can do this now. Right. <laughs> exactly. And uh, my good friend Marcus, uh, uh, he, um, he actually gave me my first uh, Ami. And it was okay. a big diesel, like 40-gram tank of a gecko. And uh, God only knows how old it was. And I had that thing probably at least 10 years. But he gave it to me because somebody gave it to him. And I was like, man, this is so cool. And working with that one gecko, I was like, you know what? I need to do this. I just need to go balls out and just get as many as I can without breaking my piggy bank because I'm still a you know, normal dude mm-hmm. and just start talking to people and getting as much information as I can and just my love for these stupid little geckos with no butts, you know, it, it, <laughs> it just it spiraled, you know, and you make friends and Instagram was there. And I was like, you know what? I need to make a page that's for... People that want to know about Nobtails, want to learn about Nobtails, want to see them in captivity, want to see them in the wild, and just spread the love. So I made, you know, Nobtails.ig. And it's actually taken off pretty good because it's not a business. I'm not I'm not breeding anything for sale. It's just my personal enjoyment and spreading the love, so to speak. And, I mean, that's nice. just kind of where we're at right now.
0: That's cool. Nice. Uh, so, uh, first, I know you mentioned something a little bit ago, um, just for the people who might not know. Um, a high-speed lapid, is that kind of what I think it is? Because I would say that would yeah. probably mambas and anything else absolutely nightmarish.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it nightmarish. You know, <laughs> you just got to know how the animal's going to – you know, you got to know what kind high of animal speed. you're working with. <laughs> yeah, it's high speed. I mean, yeah. you know, I've had, I've had every single species of mamba. I've had, Jesus. you know, a handful of taipans, brown snakes, mulgas, you know, stuff like that. More cobras than I can remember. And uh, and it's awesome, man, because, you know, you're you're you you can't play with the animal physically in your hands. You know, you can't cuddle it. You can't watch TV with it. So you have this different kind of view as to how am I going to enjoy said animal? So you observe them more. You watch their daily habits. You watch them, you know, what they do in their day to day routine. And like that on itself is completely fascinating, especially when it's stuff that most people have never seen in person. Crap. Half the time people didn't even know existed, you know.
0: Yeah, I, mean, uh, I, I
3: do like, I, that. I, <clears throat> so I, I did a, a lot of that, and, like, I, little things that you pick up from here and there, um, trying to – I've got so many things in my head right now that I want to talk about. But, <laughs> I've, like, for example, I had, a, I had a King Brown that was, like, my favorite thing, bro. And everyone was like, Jesus. it's yellow and brown and ugly. Like, it's just – it's muted brown. <laughs> yeah, but it's brown. a King Brown. Like, that, there's – it's, it's a real mulga, right? Yeah. And uh, when I got him, he was an import. And uh, he basically was, I don't want to say he was smuggled, but it was basically Europe that went to Indonesia. And then the Indonesian guys were like, hey, we don't want this thing. Will you take it? And it went up going to Strictly Reptiles. And I went up getting, got him, I got him from Strictly Reptiles. And he had a gnarly scar in his eye. Like his whole eye was messed up. I couldn't figure out why for the longest time. And then I wound up feeding him a, a live small rat. And he would sit there and let the rat chew on his eye while he envenomated it. And I realized really? this animal is so psychotic and so food driven that it's literally sacrificed that eye. Dude, what and the hell? The reason, <laughs> right? We actually uh we named him Mr. Bateman after American Psycho. <laughs> and uh Yeah,
1: that's a good one. And
3: yeah. uh, you know, I don't like to feed live too often because, you know, for obvious reasons, as most of the listeners of the show will know, you know you don't want a two dollar rat biting a thousand dollar snake, you know. Yeah. But I did it more just because I wanted to see if my theory was correct. And every single time I fed him a live prey item, he would let that prey item chew on his eye while he envenomated it. And that like, is. You would never. <laughs> you don't. You don't see certain intelligent aspects from other animals as you do with the stuff that knows it's high speed. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It it knows, it knows it's, uh, it's deadly. So yeah.
3: Yeah. Or like some of the mambas I've had that they're incredibly intelligent, you know, problem solving, intelligent. And <clears throat> you, know, you get, you get a brand new baby mamba, you throw it in its enclosure and you sit back and you watch and you sit there for like an hour and you watch it. and All you see is its head twitching. And you're thinking, Oh man, has it got a neurological problem or is there, you know, got a, a, a breathing issue where it's huffing and puffing and breathing funny. It's like, no, that snake is memorizing the entire cage. And then for the next four to six hours, it's going to go to every single little corner of that cage and test it to see if it can get out. Wow. Dear God. And like that to, is, that to me is just fascinating. Wow. I you mean, know, yeah, but
0: dear God, it's it's not, it stays <laughs> in
1: a cage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to have sick. Yeah, right? Oh my God. That's wild, man.
0: Well,
3: it is that funny. Makes... I mean, you can ask, you know, Cody and some of the other guys that, mm-hmm. that do a lot of high speed stuff and, they're all big and bad and then you get them out of the cage and like, "Oh crap, you got me." All right, I'll go in the garbage <laughs> can, you know.
0: So, it, it, do you feel like it's also a routine like will the if, if a mamba's that intelligent will learn the routine of what you do when you take it out and kind of go go through the paces with you?
3: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, okay. not so much that it knows the the routine in terms of like, "Okay, unlocking the cage in the front, sliding the vision glass open." reaching in with the hook, pulling out the back end of the animal. Like it, even more so than that is it knows the individual person, you know, mm. we've had, I've had Cobras that were on display at undergrounds retail store, um, for the training classes and stuff where, you know, it, le- it had no problem with me. It had no problem with, you know, Bob and Sally and whoever else, but when Kevin came around, Oh man, it hated Kevin <laughs> and that Cobra would be hooded up and biting the glass and just this ornery angry thing. And we would ask ourselves, why does it hate Kevin? And you yeah. never could figure it out, but it definitely did.
0: Maybe, like, Kevin was the first thing it saw when it came out of the bag, when it showed up, or Maybe. whatever, dude. Yeah, who knows? So these Venomous Mentor classes, uh, can you kind of walk us through what they're all about? Like, are you teaching basic care of Venomous or handling, or, or what what are, what are the classes?
3: So basically, we used to have, so Underground Reptiles has two facilities. They have a retail Mm -hmm. store in Diofro Beach that is basically your normal retail pet shop. And then they actually have a farm facility out west where they do all the import-export as well as most of the breeding and stuff. They have all the tegu cages and cyclora cages and all the crazy stuff that you'd want to keep outside in South Florida for breeding purposes. Mm -hmm. But for the longest time, for decades, we had like a little nook in the back of a retail store that was all blocked off and had all vision cages, and that was the Venomous Corner. And in Florida, you have to have so many hours of hands-on experience to qualify for a license to possess Venomous in Florida. Okay. Uh, it used to be 1,000 hours, and then in 2016, they upped it to 1,000 hours per group, and now there's four groups. So they broke it down into um, Vipers, Elapids, Colubrids, and Heelas. Um, which is kinda crazy because yes, you still need one thousand hours of hands on experience for the monster? lizards. <laughs> you know it. That's it. So uh, so what we would do is we would have right we'd have two or three apprentices who would volunteer to come, you know, they didn't have to pay, they didn't get paid, and they basically would clean poo and handle snakes for However many weeks or months or years it took. Um, back in like what I would call the heyday, when we had like you know six or seven apprentices going at once, taking turns, switching off days and stuff, um, it would take the average Joe about you know two years, going a couple times a week, a couple hours here and there, to, to get the thousand hours. And then mm-hmm. in 2016, when they broke it down, now you're seeing individuals who were like, well, I only want to do Vipara day so I only want to work with those, or I only want to work with a day so I only want to handle cobras and we don't do that because I try to be as well-rounded as possible to make right. the person as safe a keeper as they can. Mm-hmm. So it goes everything from just you know watching and observing to learning our routine, learning the snakes' routine, and then going over safety protocols. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you remove the animal as long as it's done safely and properly, so that the human's safe, the animal's safe, you know, the, cu- the human is calm, the animal's calm, and Basically, we work on all everything from hookmanship and hook technique, tool technique, to general husbandry. You know, certain Mm -hmm. animals need certain care. And, you know, oh, you know what? He's not eating, so let's change it up and do this. Or, oh, that lamp is too hot. Let's swap it out for this bulb. And, you know, all these little things that, you know, a lot of other training sequences don't cover. And uh, I'm super big on technique in terms of, like, tool technique and hookmanship Mm -hmm. or hookwomanship or however you want to call it, hookpersonship. (laughs) And, uh, and that's a big thing. So like all my newbies, I make them listen, go out, buy a venom life gear hook and, you know, get working with a hook at home. Even if you don't have any snakes, you know, start using your hook, get two hooks, get a 30, get a 40, start double hooking your couch pillow. You know, mm-hmm. start practicing the rolling your wrist, where your fingers are placed, you know, balancing the fulcrum and in your index finger, you know, pressing the handle of the golf grip against your inner forearm and just kind of getting the technique down. You know, I, I tell all my guys, when you can perfectly single hook your TV remote control, you're ready to rock and roll.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, well, I got something to do now that I'm <laughs> furloughed.
1: Owen's going to be an yeah. and
0: I'm now a, so, I'm going to be playing with my hooks in my room. Oh, my God. it will be great.
3: Eric. Eric, should we tell Owen that it's damn near impossible to single hook a TV remote control?
0: <laughs> uh, that this sounds like a challenge. Oh my god, He's it's even worse now. going to been the next
1: year in Oh uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, trying Could to get a TV remote.
0: Stop using my hands for like everything. I'm going to supermarket with my hooks. See, my, my TV <laughs> and it's funny.
1: remote has like a little little loop on it so you can put it around your wrist, so mind you.
0: That's so you don't easy. drop it with your, you know, old man hand.
1: <laughs> yeah. And exactly.
0: All right, that's remote like yeah, it's a... <laughs> Oh,
3: I mean, look, and you man. got it. It's, it's never cheating if you did it right. That's know? right. Dan. <laughs> oh, and awesome. like, it's funny that we talk about TV remote controls and, you know, extension cords in our garage and couch cushions <laughs> and stuff. And then I have these, these new venomous handlers who they do it and they come back and they're like, Hey man, I picked up my couch pillow like 40 times this week. You know, can I try this? Sure. Let's do it. And they realize, Oh my God, he, it actually, it works. You know, that that thinking outside the box and how I'm going to approach the animal with the said tools as extensions of myself—that's what it's all about. And that that's what I love is you know the the technical education of it. And that's why I do it.
1: Damn you, Mister Miyagidom! He's painting a face. Yeah,
3: wax on, wax off. Yeah, guys. <laughs> all of a sudden he's you know,
1: <laughs> holy crap.
3: So. Yeah, I mean, like not to sound not to sound like Bruce Lee or anything, but like it's water, man. You got to be fluid. You got to be liquid. Yeah. You know, I always tell people it's it's not breakdancing yes the mamba is fast yes the taipan is fast but like it's not breakdancing it's a waltz it's a ballet Mm -hmm. everything is smooth everything is choreographed um one of the things i always tell beginners in venomous is let's hypothetically say that a venomous snake is only capable of five things okay now obviously we know that's there's they're capable of way more than five things but let's assume they're only capable of five things if you are prepared both mentally physically and technically for all five of those things, it doesn't matter what the animal's going to do. You're already prepared for it. And you know that you can act accordingly and then counteract. So let's say it does numbers one and two and all of a sudden it decides I don't want to do number one and two. I'm going to go straight for a number four. Mm-hmm. You still know what's going on because you've built up the technical technique about it. Right.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's it's And also would you say that you kind of need to be in a different mindset for different Venomous because, I mean, I, I worked with a gaboon, and that thing was like lifting a sock filled with sand. It barely did anything. But then there was also yeah. a monocle cobra that kind of kept me on my toes.
3: Yeah, and it's funny because my, my friend Henry and I, uh, Henry helps me do all the venomous stuff. And mm-hmm. my friend Henry was just saying the other day that I have a really big gaboon. i got like a five-and-a-half, six-foot gaboon. It's a big female. And mm-hmm. that snake is so mad at the world. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's hooking it. You know, it's just this big, giant, lethal caterpillar. And I love showing it to people because, yeah, it looks like a normal West African gaboon. It doesn't look like anything special. I mean, yes, it's beautiful. It has, you know, the geometric patterns and whatever. But everyone's like, oh, it's a gaboon. And they go to take it out, and the thing goes bananas. And, like, that's a great – it's a great learning tool because it just yeah. does to show you. It doesn't matter how many times you pick up that sack of potatoes, there's going to be one sack. That is not going to sit there on those hooks,
0: right? The one that's not going to be act like a normal gavoon,
3: yeah, right. Yeah, I get and I'll that. Tell you, like the one of the worst problems that me as a instructor has with snake people in general that come to do the venomous classes is I get people that are like, listen, you know, I've got carpets and I've got retics and I've got this and that. And I'm like, that's great, but how many of them do you touch with your bare hands? All of them. (laughs) That's that's the problem, right? Yeah. Because now you can't. And I I hate to sound like bad about it, but think about all the bad habits that you don't know you have as a normal snake keeper.
0: And and I've thought about uh, that before. Yeah, Yeah, where it's like, if you were to tell me I couldn't use my hands and try to double hook all my carpets out of the cage, I bet you I'd make an ass of myself because I've never double hooked them out of their cages. It's always the one... Get a grip and then kind of guide him out with the hook in my hand. Yeah. I guarantee you I'd be looking like an idiot. But you he's know, and,
3: that and one of the <laughs> – <laughs> I'm guilty of it too. You know, how yeah. many times did I go over to my rack that has carpets in it, and I lift my fingers underneath the front of the drawer, and I start – Yeah. And, and I stop myself, and I go, wait a minute. Which side of the room am I on? Because no. I'm on the left. It's, it's oh. venomous. If I'm on the right, it's harmless. <laughs> And I realize, okay, I'm on the carpet side. I'm I'm on the Morelia side. I'm good to go. But things like that, people don't think about. And, like, I watch some of these – don't even get me started on the whole YouTube video stuff. But some of these people, they just – no one's told them mm. to not open the drawer with their hand.
0: No, use the hook. It's why they got that nice little handle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know what? You're going to get bit on the knuckles by an angry adult carpet once, and then you will never make that mistake again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, right? it seems and like, I mean, like uh, as of late, like I don't know, maybe I'm just being exposed to it, but like it seems like everybody that's on YouTube that deals with venomous, for the most part, is free handling at some point, or maybe I'm just looking at the wrong people. I don't, I don't know, man. But it's just like, holy
0: yeah, well, shit. why they're like
1: why? You're king not, you're not wrong. shit? I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, you're <laughs> not, that, you're not
3: wrong. You know, uh, Brent, Brent Venomous from Venom Life Gear. He put it great once. He said, Mm -hmm. if there was no social media, would you still say, oh, my Cobra loves me and have to cuddle it?
0: No, of course not. It's uh, what is it? they do that stupid thing on Instagram where they have the video and it's like the snake pass or whatever the hell, and you kind of pass the shit off screen and then somebody else pretends to catch it, but it's their own animal. And like I'm looking at it and I'm like, venomous, venomous, venomous. Stop it! Like why? Wait, like why am I seeing all these dimes? Like Jesus Christ! Stop it! Like yeah. Oh yeah. It's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just I don't know.
3: You reason. Know, no I was reason. Just talking to Justin the other day about it. I was just, Justin was just telling me, he's like, yeah, man, I'm waiting for one of these girls in Germany to get tagged by a ego in the lip, you know?
0: Yeah, mm. that, that, that's going to happen. And then you can have a bad, like, dude, I could, I'm weary about my uh, Madagascar hogs because you can have a bad reaction to that kind of shit, depending on oh, what yeah. you're looking at. And you don't want, you don't want the first time you realize that this is going to be bad to be the last time you're going to like, you know, it's, one bite can be what kind of messes you up there, and I sent Eric a picture before we got on the show yeah, of a monaco
3: cobra bite, and I'm like, no, <laughs> like it was just. Oh, it was bad. Oh, yeah, it was bad. Oh yeah, so nobody ever expects them to be as necrotic as they are. Oh know? my God, they- you saw the dude's hand bones. Yeah. It's horrible. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I, speaking bone. of hognose, I had a yeah. guy back in the day who got bit by a, blonde, a Malagasy blonde hognose. And at first, he was like, oh, man, I just got bit. This hurts. Ow. And then, no kidding, for about three or four days, whatever reaction he had to that venom, it made his entire arm swell up to, like, mid-bicep. Oh, and shit. After the <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, like, after the three or four days, it, he stopped looking like the Michelin Man, and now he has permanent joint pain in his hand from that bite. So I, I have mean, three was, of those. Was
0: long, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for <laughs> So I have three of those. They've never bitten me, but now I'm going to be a little bit more cautious around them. Yeah. Um, Jesus yeah. Christ! Yeah, yeah. I, rem- I remember. And the problem is, is that you know we're all guilty of it. We get overexcited and we do stupid things. I opened up the deli cups that my baby giants came in, and I'm like, look at it, and it bit me on the finger immediately, and I'm like. Well, I'm like, wait, they said they were rear fanged. Yeah, but the snake just opens its mouth up really wide, and then it doesn't matter where the fangs are. Right. It's right. like, well, that's, yeah, I should have seen that one coming. But nothing happened. But I'm like, I guess we're going to see what happens. Like, it's <laughs> – that's – but with something a little bit more dangerous, like a baby mamba, a baby rattlesnake, you know, pygmy rattlesnakes, it you could be in a lot of trouble for one small oversight or brain fuck up. I mean – yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: We had a uh, we had a black. Uh, so boomslangs are sexually dimorphic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So females are usually like a brown drab color with some green highlights. Males are usually those crazy lime greens with the black flecking, or in some cases they're almost jet black. And it's not it's not melanistic per se. It's just a, a black snake with some white highlights and some brown highlights. Well, I had a, a black male boom slang that was on display at underground for many years we actually named him tyron biggums after that uh dave chappelle skit because he was all black with white lips okay and he was a crack he was a crackhead he was a legitimate crackhead right, right. and we used to have, i used to close we'd close the retail store because i didn't want anyone i didn't want people walking around when i'm taking this thing out and there were some days when he would just ride two hooks be perfectly fine and then there are other days that he was grease lightning and uh, I went up getting rid of him just because it was a, it was a safety issue. All I needed yeah. for him to go up to up a display case in the store, and now he's up in the ceiling tile, and I gotta <sighs> go to go, go up there and get him. So, but one time he yawned and he yawned up against like a branch that was uniquely colored or knotted or whatever. So he yawned and was like, "Man, that's a really wide yawn," because he's got to fix those fangs in the back mm-hmm. of his mouth, you know. But mm-hmm. well, we measured, we measured that uh, that little space on the wood, and it mm-hmm. was double the length of his head. Oh, wow. So he's he opened his mouth Christ, almost like double. 100 and, like almost like 175 degrees, like almost 180.
0: Holy and, like, geez. you're
3: expecting to believe that that thing's going to bite me and it's not going to reach the fangs? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, that. that's the common I mean, that's the common myth is that they bite you and then they chew you back to the fangs. No, no, they just make sure they get you with the fangs for so the first go-around, right. you know? You know that,
3: that, Damn. That's why mangrove snakes, when they gape, their gape is so wide and defensive because they've prepped those fangs in the back of their mouth. Like, they're ready. You know, they're not they're not gonna close their mouth a little bit and then strike. No, they're gonna strike with it open, you know, 150, 160 degrees because they know that's how wide they need it to be to get the fangs in. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's
0: uh, <laughs> let's move on to still psychotic but non-venomous. So why why would you do water pythons to yourself?
2: They're
3: oh, awesome. man, because on. one, they're I mean, awesome. they're, they're, I they're love so them. cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but they're a special. You have to be a special kind of crazy to want to dip into <laughs> just a
3: brown psychotic snake. Yeah, it's, yeah. So. Well, I told you, man, I like I like ugly brown snakes, man. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And, like, this one's super dark on top with, like, a really creamy yellow belly. Yeah. And there with like, a flashlight in my bedroom, like, shining iridescence on them, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. But it was it was actually funny because after Billy sent me the video from your room, Owen. Yeah. Uh, last night I was up late and I had the thing wrapped around my hand. It's super chill, very docile animal, and uh, I'm holding them and playing with them. And I started like going down the the water python rabbit hole on YouTube.
4: Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: And I come across this one video of one. I don't know if it's in an enclosure or someone put like underwater trail cams in like a creek or something, but you watch the snake like slithering underwater through like the silt of the creek. And I'm like, oh. oh, my God, what did I get myself oh, into? Yes, I know okay. exactly yeah. what
1: you're talking about. That is badass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to have to make a big enclosure. And yeah, dude. On it, uh, it, it's one of those things
0: where I I have renewed um, appreciation for my water pythons after seeing the ones in Darwin, both of them. The one we found in Fog Dam and the olive python wannabe. But it's just like it was – and I think they're hit or miss. Either you have one that's really calm, really cool, or you have just a psychotic animal. Like I, it, it's either it's really gentle, really nice, or it's insane. So, um, most pairs well, you know, have one of each.
3: You know what did it? What did it for me was that one famous video of Steve Irwin on that Getting show. bit on the neck, <laughs> and he gets bit on the neck. He's like, yeah, he's they're the really <laughs> so They don't bite, and then whack. That was like, I
0: need one. It's, it's, gotta have it. <laughs> it's like coiling around his throat and some sock puppet over there is like making faces at him. And it's like, <laughs> this is a normal day for somebody. Yeah. Oddly I love enough, that video. Right? The
1: ones we found in the wild were super chill.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Super yeah, chill. they were. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Really, uh, really calm. You know, I found the Indonesian one. That's, oh, and those, those ones you Liner had
0: andos. at Hamburg. Minor
1: They were Indos, right?
0: Minor Indo's. Yeah, yeah. I've I've two Indos. Oh, yep. They're
1: evil, man. Indos they are. are evil. I don't know My what it family. is about. That that spot. Don't
0: but holy shit. Don't talk about the Indo's. Yeah, if you're gonna get waters, stick to the northern territories.
1: <laughs> but it's <Or> <laughs> Queensland seemed to be the chill ones. But
0: I yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That's the one that's supposedly Queensland. Yeah. So as far as Morelia, what do you got cooking? I know you said you had some carpets. Uh, give us the rundown. Any of your stuff. This is Morilla really Python so, Radio, after all.
3: Of course, of course. Yeah. So I, I had carpets on and off throughout the years. In fact, my first carpet I ever had was on. Oh my gosh! It was Valentine's Day 2004, and I remember it clear as day. It was it was a, a Diamond Jungle Cross. I got into a huge fight with my girlfriend at the time on Valentine's Day, and she got all mad at me because whatever reason, I was like, "Screw this! I'm going to buy a new snake," and I went to underground. <laughs> And they had Diamond Jungles, and I was like, "Oh man, a Diamond Jungle Cross! This is amazing! Like, it's like the best of both worlds! Like, I'm gonna get it! It's awesome!" And it was it was F1, and right. I named him I named him Valentino for Valentine's Day, <laughs> and I I he is uh, he's still around. He's actually at one of my friend's houses. I gave him to my friend because my friend wanted a big impressive animal, and he's probably like seven and a half, almost eight foot now, and just full of piss and vinegar, but. Yeah. I had carpets over the years. I had him, you know, I had some brettles here and there and whatnot, but I didn't, I stopped, man. I just kind of got out of it. And then, like I said earlier, you know, re-kin- or starting up friendships with Justin and Jake and Billy and all of them, I was like, man, I got to get back into this. Starting to listen to you guys again, I was like, I got to get back into it. So I've got mm-hmm. all baby or yearling stuff right now. I've got a, a pair of brettles. Um, I've got a yearling pair of darwins and then i've got a trio of ijs that are all farmed and they all three of them look completely different
0: oh you went you went full eric burke crazy okay (laughs) oh yeah okay oh Oh, yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. okay he's one of us Mm -hmm. i see I see. i see i I
3: am i am deep in the Aryan jaya (laughs) yes and i specifically call them ijs on purpose just to piss off owen and jake (laughs) I, i i
0: was there was there a big revelation with that in the episode that I didn't listen to about IJs because I feel like there was, and I missed it. So
1: Rob <laughs> gave this super detailed as should Rob I just does, go back? Let's even, do it. <laughs> as Rob does about the actual history of the name of uh, Eerie IJ Jaya and oh, God. Uh, no, talking about like the actual, you know, Papua New Guinea and the history right. of like when it was right. called, what it was called, and how that like sort of lines up with when they actually made it to the states. So, got it. Yeah.
0: So. So called my jets are pop ones now.
1: It's
3: worth it's worth listening
0: to it if I do say okay. so myself. I'll, it's, I'll, it, I'll, uh, it's
1: really. Who cares? (laughs) I mean, who cares? This is bad. You can see my face now. We're screwed. You know, on the IJ front, you're screwed on either end. You know, you got some people that call them IJs, you got some people that call them Poplins, you got some people that call them Harrisoni. And, like, you know, either, you know, like everyone that's in the other camp is going to say why you shouldn't call, you know, if you call it Harrisoni. It's like, oh my god, that's you know, Twiddle Dee's yeah. <laughs> name that he made up. Like, holy shit, how can we do this? There's Why would you call it that? Calls. You know, um,
3: it, yeah, well, that's well, that's like, for example, I always attribute it to Erin Gyre or IJ's just because that was the original name. Mm-hmm. And like, if yeah. you look at some of the other species in the world, like for example, Formosa Island cobras,
4: mm-hmm.
3: nobody knows where Formosa Island is. Well, that's because it's Taiwan, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. you know, or you look at you know, like my oh. my good friend Mark, my good friend Marcus and I, we 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 kept a lot of different species of girdle tail lizards over the years, and you know my personal favorite, which is actually the one that I continue to breed, is the Rhodesianus. Well, okay. there is no Rhodesia anymore because it's called Zimbabwe. Well, I'm not going to call it a Zimbabwe girdle tail. I'm going to call it a Rhodesian girdle tail. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I I think personally, I mean, to me, they've always been IJs as long as I've, I just think it's easier to say, you know. yeah. At the same two time, letters. is it, you know, I always felt like is it one of those things that, you know, it's kind of like the incomplete dominant and co-dominant thing. You know, like it seems like the reptile hobby has sort of embraced that and changed that and used that correctly um, rather than, right. you know, incorrectly. So it's like, should we hold ourselves to a different standard, you know, and I guess like sometimes if you're, you know, I don't know if you're going to be talking to, you know, more academic type people. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to sound like a knucklehead, you know, um, <laughs> so
0: use know. the terms correctly, you know, yeah, it, you
1: know, I, you know, I don't know. It's, don't, <laughs> it's one of those weird things. Well, but.
0: how do the actual people say, we know are geneticists deal like the the people who actually we know are actual doctors deal with us? I don't understand it. I'm just <laughs> Warren not throw something at his thing every day. He does. <laughs> he does. Oh, good, good.
3: Yeah. Hi, Warren. <laughs> But, uh, well, that's like the only person The only person I will physically allow to call a ball python or a royal python is uh-huh. Nipper. He's the only one who's allowed to do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nipper can call him whatever he wants. Nipper, whatever he wants. <laughs> whatever he, whatever he wants. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs>
0: Uh, he took all my pygmy rattlesnake pictures, <laughs> fixed them, and sent them back to me. And I'm like, oh, "Thank you." So, 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 what he edited them and stuff? He fixed the. Yeah, he edited, re-edited them because they were like, yeah. He just he, he brightened them up, made them better, and then sent them back to me. Nipper, yep.
1: I, I must Nipper. apologize. I'm so sorry that. Uh,
0: I, I I will get Owen's camera him.
1: skills up to a level. No, um, no you know, it's, we need I training.
0: i I will meager the, the shit out of him. Belief.
1: You take the picture. <laughs> <laughs> I make sure
0: nobody walks into a crocodile pit. Yeah. Like,
1: that's... We all have our jobs. That's Come true. now. But sometimes you solo fly, you know? Like
0: I know. I solo fly. I didn't, I didn't bring a photography hobbit with me. You know, that was my problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like Yoda on the backpack. You know what I mean? Exactly. We I should have thought that we right yeah.
0: Would have been right It Yeah, done. See? We need to get some sort of next next time we go to Australia, we'll have that harness.
3: This way you can get pictures of oh, things up cool. high. Yeah. that reminds me. Yeah, man. that reminds me that Owens outnumbered tonight because I'm only five six on a good day. Oh, son of a bitch! Oh, yeah, finally yeah. outnumbered. You bring oh, this man. in
1: my return show.
0: What we're is beating, this? Past? We're beating this? Uh, you know, we're
3: beating him on the <laughs> IJs.
1: Uh, you know, we're beating him on the height thing. I mean, I don't know, Owen. I mean, I don't know I don't I know. Did I become the, the minority here? <laughs> 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 uh, all right, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about knobtails. Um, you know, uh Yeah, man. Like, you know, w- well, let's let's start with this. What are you working with? You know, I know there's what, 14 species and subspecies. Um, I think most of them are right. in the so, trade, right?
3: Yeah, almost all of them are in the US trade. And I'll, I'll say US trade because Asia is on a level that is wow. Like Asia knobtails is I don't know where they they must have some kind of clothing machine or something because they have some amazing specimens um, and then of course Europe has amazing stock as well right um, but almost all of them are represented like some people say there's 13 species because they you know will count subspecies won't count subspecies some people say the underwood are still considered you know knobtails whatever to each their own but Almost all of them are in the U.S. pet trade, except for a couple. Uh-huh. Um, there's one newer species of uh, Underwoodosaurus that is not, because it's from the Pilbara. And it's a relatively newly discovered, newly described species, and there just isn't any. Another one that's not in the U.S. is uh, Shei, which is the Kimberly knobtail. Okay. And a lot of people have actually passed on. They're like, oh, I've, I just got these Shei from Europe, and blah, 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 and they're worth, you know, 10 grand or whatever. And... One of the biggest things with the Shai is they their patterning is different than everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's indicative of the, the rocky alcoves and stuff outside, like Darwin and Kimberly and all that area. But their toes are banded. And that's even in, you know, Cogger's you know, description in 1994. He specifically says, you know, they have banded digits.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And you look at this gecko and his feet are brown. And it's uh-huh. like, well, you're full of crap. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But, uh, right now, um twenty twenty was a very bad year for all of us, as we know. Um mm-hmm. I actually lost a bunch of geckos and I lost sure. some snakes. and we're we're all we're all hurting from twenty twenty, whether it be with you know clutches or litters or whatever, or just animals in general. But right now, I'm only I only have pairs of synctus, uh, which mm-hmm. is the most common knobtail in the u s. pet trade. Mm-hmm. It used to be wheeler eye synctus. now it's just synctus, which is one of those things where, it kind of didn't matter that they dropped the subspecies or they dropped the species name and just made it full species because mm-hmm. everyone was calling them sync This Geckos anyway. Gotcha. Um, so I got, I, I have a, a good handful of pairs it. of those.
4: Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. And uh, I had some AMI that I was purchasing from a particular breeder and I had such bad luck with them and they would basically live for about six to eight months and then they would crash and they would go. And I'm convinced that it was, unknown inbreeding over generations and Mm. there's actually groups of individuals whether it be on facebook or in the real world or whatever that are selectively swapping animals so that this isn't happening so i basically told myself i'm gonna hold off on geckos for i'm buying new geckos for about a year Mm. and just kind of let people kind of fix their thing because there's other guys that have massive amazing collections you know i'm a i'm a a hobbyist when it comes to this stuff but Um, but right now, all I've got is I've got one male levis levis, which is the smooth gecko, and then I have a, a big handful of distinctus because let's face it, they're the cheapest, they're the hardiest in the pet trade, right. and um, they're 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 adorable, man. When they're babies, they're like bright neon orange or pink yeah, with man. black banding on their body. They're cool. They're adorable. Yeah, that's cool. And they're super cool. And and having kept you know a good number of different species, I can confidently say that if someone wants to get into knobtails they're definitely the species to get because they are way more forgiving than some of the other harder species. And they're not that expensive, you know? Uh, Most people sell their babies for $250, $300, which may seem like a lot for a terrestrial gecko, but they're worth it, man. They're awesome.
1: Isn't it weird how, like... Even in my head, like, you, I, I remember walking around the uh, Tinley Park with Rob, and we were looking at these different, um, you know, uh, knob tails and stuff, and I think, I yeah. want to say, there was an albino there, and that's what, Pilberensis, is that the... the- the one that's Yeah. That's so, okay. yeah
3: it's, it's a subspecies of the smooth. So it, you have uh, Levy's levis, which is your standard smooth. And that takes up the majority of the central continent of Australia. And then you have uh, Levis Pobarensis, which is strictly endemic to the Pilbara region. Mm-hmm. And then you have Levis uh, ocidentalis, Oth- which is off of that one coastal region on the extreme far western side in the Indian Ocean. Okay. Um, those ocidentalis are are in the pet trade. Um, they're usually really light colored, lots of yellows and like lighter hues to them. And they usually go for a lot more money. The problem is a lot of people have unknowingly crossbred them with Pilbarensis or crossbred mm. them with normal levees just because there's so little of them, you know? Gotcha.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, the yeah. Pil- but the Pilbarensis are the ones that do produce the most albinism. And those are the ones that the guys are really trying to selectively do like the patternless and the high, the high contrast, you know, bright, bright tangerine orange looking to them. Um, and there's actually a theory that every single Pobarensis in the U.S. market and the majority of Canada is actually head for albino, just because they were the albino ones were so bred within that almost everything is head.
0: Oh. Yeah, I could, yeah, I, I've heard that happen with certain other species where it's just because there wasn't that many. Everything's got it. Like what is it? Tannin bars, you can produce, you can breed two tannin bar scrubs and get all of them, you know, all the different colors and more. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a yeah th- I believe it. But I remember walking around the Tin Tinley show and I seen that. And there was, you know, I was, I can't remember what the price tag was, but it was up there. And it was like, you mm. know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, that's a lot for a gecko, you know, and then I'm thinking about it. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, well, shit, I would spend that much on a snake and not think twice, you know? It was like, why is it in my it's head? It's weird now? when we like, do
0: that, yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean?
1: Like, why Why is it? Because it's smaller or it's, like, more fragile or, like, somehow I, I think it should yeah. be... I don't know. Maybe it's my dumb uh, snake brain. Man. No, no, no it's a it, snake. You're right? Are, it, you know, <laughs> it's a
0: snake brain because it's like I got to get new tires put on the car. It's like five hundred bucks, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, really? I drop that in rodents like every month. Like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. Where I'm like, that's a lot, and I'm like, rodent bill, sure. It's like, yeah, I don't. So. Cool. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's yeah, mental,
3: it? mental priority. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, Thank you. <laughs> that's not that bad. That's, yeah. that's a yeah. decent price. I mean, like yeah. people tell, I, I have an iPhone six and right. everyone yells at me. They're like, dude, your battery's dead again. How come you don't <laughs> spring for a new phone? You know, just get a that's... payment plan. I'm like, dude, nice $1,000 for a phone. And they're like, dude, you just spent $1, on a $1,000 on a pair of whatever. And I'm right. like, yeah, but. And they're like, well, you don't use that gecko every single minute of your day, do you? And I'm like, oh god, you get a point. Yeah, <laughs> you got me. Yeah, it's a good me. one. Um,
1: okay, so, okay, and is that that's that's pretty much the group that you're working with? Is, is there any that you want Yeah, want to add at some point? That you don't? I
3: do. To add? So my. my my favorite is the asper which is what's called the prickly nobtail. they're found uh, primarily in queensland almost the entire territory of queensland mm-hmm. and uh, i actually have a couple friends in townsville um that i met through just liking geckos and uh, my one good friend elliot budd uh he was at uh, james cook university and he was actually doing a bunch of research on in the field on aspers and you know the um territoriality and different ecosystems and he actually devised a radio tracking system that he put into like a tiny little micro backpack so out. he had licenses f- oh yeah i have videos of it he sent me it's breathtaking so oh that's awesome so elliot would basically he would go out in the wild and he had licenses from the state and from the territory and from the federal government to basically go catch these geckos and he would put the little backpack on them and he would League let them and oh yeah, and he would spend eighteen to twenty hours with a radio tracker just watching them go. And he actually discovered that most of this species of knobtail will traverse over one hundred yards a night, Holy and geez. they almost always come back to their original home where they started. And that makes me feel like a complete jerk because I keep my geckos in a sixteen quart tub. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: you know. It, it, I mean, first off, the prickly knobtails are gorgeous. I just pulled them up on. Oh. Google. Amazing. I mean, oh, my God.
3: Uh, you got to look at those Cape Yorks, the ones that look like zebras. Yeah,
0: okay. All right. Dude, I don't know why, but I've always kind of like – I've always been into nobbies. I, I I like the I think, we, I think we did one episode with – is it Justin that works with them?
1: No. Well, yeah, we did it with Justin uh, and cool – um, oh, Yeah. Oh, Who was his we, partner? We did, Steve, uh, Steve Yeah. Ever
0: Steve since Sharp? we did that one episode, I'm like, God, I love nobbies. If I was ever going to lose my mind into geckos, it'd be them. But um, – Yeah. No. No. So, <laughs> Too much shit already. Go for it. So <laughs> Do it.
3: <laughs> well,
1: now we know somebody going, you know. Uh...
3: You know what?
1: I... Yeah, right?
3: <laughs> and what's, what's crazy is ever since I started the, the Noctail page on Instagram, like uh-huh. I get all these people and, and just talking and communicating and making friends and sharing knowledge. And cause, let's be real. A lot of the gecko people are not apt to share their knowledge that they personally gained no different than many of the python breeders do you know it's almost like Mm -hmm. hey i'll I'll make sure that your animal's okay but i'm not going to tell you the the trade secrets that took me 20 years to learn Mm -hmm. right and like part of me part of me can respect that you know you kind of have the attitude of well i did it you can too just do your homework Mm -hmm. but the other part of me is some of these some of the time it's not attainable so like Mm -hmm. for me i went on this like gecko crusade and i've been looking at research documents and scientific journals from like the 1800s and looking up and trying to find as much information as I can to try and further me because no one wanted to tell me anything no one wanted to share their information and now that I have the page going and people kind of see like okay I'm not just some guy who's flipping geckos for money they're a little more apt to communicate and stuff and what's it's amazing because I'm learning all this information but at the same time I get these guys who are breeding, you know, prickly nobtails. And they're like, Hey man, I just had a litter. I had just had two uh, clutches of Asper. Are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, how much? He goes, well, I'm going to put them up for 5k each, but you know what? I'll do, I'll do like 6,800 for the pair. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, I, <laughs> no, just, uh. Uh.
0: Wow. I mean, do you, do you also get contacted by people in Australia who think you're there? Because, I mean, that happened a lot of it for us where they're like, hey, would you be willing to sell me this thing? I'd be like, yeah. They're like, can you ship to Queensland? I'm like, no. <laughs> like <it's-
3: laughs> <Sure>. Well, n- <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's funny you bring it up because, like, I've actually mm. had people that hit me up for the weirdest stuff. Like, I had someone message me from Poland, and he's like, hey, look, I'm looking for these Australian spiders. Can you ship them to me? And I said, no, I'm in the United States, and Australia doesn't export any wildlife he's like, oh, I got a guy in Alice Springs. He'll just ship him in the, in the post. And I'm like, all right, don't okay. I'm out. You have fun with you your know? illegal smuggling. It. Yeah, it's like, I don't... <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. Jesus I'm out of that Christ. one. But I'll tell you, <laughs> the one thing that I do notice the most is because it is a page of cute, cuddly, little, adorable, little baby uh, echoes,
4: yeah, Okay. I get
3: all these young girls that start following the page, and then they'll see the story, and they'll realize that I'm a fat, bearded guy. And like, <laughs> unfollow. <laughs> Unfollow. <laughs> that's
0: not fair. <laughs> that's that's a shock to the ego. It's like,
3: it's, oh, I, I don't care. It's not. I'm not. I'm not on there to meet girls. about yeah, yeah, Share right. the gecko love, man. Right, right, right.
0: That's, that's they're awesome. I mean, that's so cool. It, we 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 had a chance like to see nobbies where we were. We just struck out, I think. Um, yeah, yeah I, think
3: I think it's it. People that find them are the ones who specifically go out looking for them, it's not like snakes. So, like, me, with me and snakes, if I go, like, I heard you talking about going out with KJ and stuff, and field yeah. her in Florida, like, I've field with the crap out of Florida. I love where I live. I love field herp in Florida. But if I tell someone, hey, man, let's go out there and try and find an anery corn, you know, just like a wild anery corn, and we'll drive for, like, hours and not find nothing <laughs> and then my one buddy will be like hey man i went looking for jumping spiders and look what i found he finds six corns. this is how it goes you know
0: that's what kj was saying he's like he's like dude uh, just so you know i took a friend out last week and we struck out i'm really freaking hoping we don't strike out i'm like yeah well you yeah. know it don't matter i haven't said dude I, I haven't herped anywhere in florida so everything's new like it'll be fine so yeah
3: but yeah, and dude, I saw those pygmies you posted on your on your story. Oh, and those pygmies were champion pygmies. They were
0: cool. They were so cool. They were they were little Eric Burks, just nasty little
3: attitude in the tiny kind of little body.
0: Yeah, <laughs> mad at me for yeah, standing keep, there. Uh, yeah, that's right.
3: I keep a handful of duskies myself, and uh, dude, I love watching them little things. We call them the lethal sprinkler
4: because
3: <laughs> you don't you don't hear anything until right. you're too close, and you just you just hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, so they cool. they were they were so cool. I mean, and it was, it, it was it, re- reminiscent of Australia. We're driving down a a crappy dirt road, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then it was snake, and then the car comes to the truck comes to a screeching halt, and everybody
3: bails out. It was great. Loved it. That's so, awesome. That's the way to yeah. do it, man. It's the oh way yeah. To do it. Oh yeah. It was. Fun. But, uh, I'm actually planning uh, my my friend Elliot. I was telling you about in Townsville. I'm actually planning hmm. a trip to go. It was supposed to be this year, but COVID kind of messed that up for me. But yeah. uh, he has, aside from him having the permits to be able to, like, touch stuff in the wild, at least with the geckos specifically, um, he has friends all over the entire continent. So cool. we're going to try and map out maybe in the next year or two. Uh, he has GPS coordinates of where everything hits. So yeah. it's like a three-week thing, tour the continent, kept, see as many snakes as we can, see as many geckos as we can, and just do it up, you know? Yeah, That's dude. Awesome. And he, NPR style.
1: Yeah, dude, you're gonna you're gonna fucking lose your mind, man. I'm telling you. <laughs>
0: like, well yeah, I mean, especially if you find a like a knobtail in the wild. Ugh. I mean it it yeah. Ain't nothing like seeing the shit you keep in a box at home where it's supposed to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? we, we the
1: Absolutely. first trip when we were in Queensland, we were in um Chiligo and I thought for I mean, to me that looked like prime time uh knobby habitat and you know, it's just like you would picture the outback, rocky outcrops, that kind of thing. I'm imagining that's right, right. you know, what they're where you're gonna find them, oh, yeah.
3: you know. Um but uh yeah,
1: oh, yeah.
0: we
3: we Barren with... wasteland with microclimate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Sounds like Darwin, yeah. <laughs> so, so
1: yeah, okay, so you set these guys up in tubs, you know. Um is that like the standard way to do this? Or, you know, I know you were saying about how, you know, the study kind of makes you, you know.
3: Yeah. I yeah. And I, I mean, I look at it like this. I, I do. I feel, I feel a little bad, but at the same time, it's, they're more than content with the life that I've given them in terms of they're eating more than they would in the wild. They're mm-hmm. drinking more than they would in the wild. They don't have the harshness of the Australian outback like you guys have obviously witnessed. Right. So I don't feel that bad about it. I have one, I have one, the levies levies that I have left. Um, I have him set up in like a naturalistic, vivarium so to speak i mean as vivarium as you can get for you know arid environment right and uh (laughs) i have i have a heat light on him i have a small halogen on there just to bring the temps to where i want them Uh but he does not come out in daylight there is no daylight traversing or peeking your face out or anything it is strictly a nocturnal species so on everything else i don't have lighting just because there's they're they're not going to come out yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's no studies, there's not enough study on their nutritional basis in the wild to compare it to nutritional basis in captivity in terms of vitamins and D3 consumption and D3 production. You know, there's a whole paper that basically says that, you know, leopard geckos don't need calcium or don't need D3 because they make their own, but nobody knows about this with, with nottails. Like, it just doesn't, like the, the information isn't there. Right. So I still use multivitamins, I still do D3, I still do calcium. You know, I dust all the food, I vary the diet they just they don't have any lights. That's just how it is yeah and i, I mean, do tubs
1: we've 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 kind of heard I'm sure all of us have heard people argue that you know even you know nocturnal animals, which i they if they're not coming out, how are they using this like or uv or anything like that yeah i I don't know to me that just doesn't make sense
0: if they bed down in a dark place it's still dark like you know yeah yeah
1: so so basically you're not even if you did have these in a naturalistic setup you're not going to see anything till night but nighttime game on oh yeah right
3: yeah game on and it's funny because uh i will creep in the room and like (laughs) sneak, sneak around the countertop to like watch him in the, in the dim lit, you know, from like the, 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 the hallway lights on, but the kitchen lights off, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I'll watch him and like, he'll be stalking a cricket and like wiggling his tail. And like his pupils are gigantic cause he's soaking up all that light. Mm-hmm. And then the minute I walk over, he just stops. And like it, it's almost one of those things where like the hunter talks about oh I felt the lion creeping up behind me like it's the same kind of thing <laughs> yeah, right. and I watch him and, and he he's like something is here and it's watching me and he just I'm being watched by like, something yeah right yeah slunks back into his little hole in the ground but uh, it's it's awesome man it's awesome to watch him at night and just do their thing like I need to find night vision that's what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's go. sitting in a you corner know. of your kitchen with these little green eyes just peering into the
1: zombie. Yeah, right? Screw <laughs> that iPhone 12, man! You need yeah. You need no, just day do day. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can
3: you imagine my my roommate comes in late. You know, par, going out to the bar. Whatever he comes in late, he's me sitting there in a chair with my vision on, just staring at a glass <laughs> <flat> tank. <laughs> you
0: just gotta. You just gotta turn to him and be like, "Sup?" Like, and then just turn back. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. To, pretend like, like nothing else is happening. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Man. That... But uh, in terms of, in terms of the tubs, people ask me all the time. They're like, Oh, do you do paper towels? Do you do sand? Oh, what if they eat the sand? And then <laughs> I get my, my personal opinion is they're from the <laughs> desert desert. There's sand they're there. Going, <laughs> right. They're going to eat sand. Now let's, let's, let's get a little technical if we can for a second. Mm-hmm. If I put a gecko on just straight sand, Obviously, every time they dive bomb a cricket, they're going to get some sand in their mouth. They're probably going to get more than they do in the wild because in the wild, there's gravel and rocks and plant life and vegetation and God knows what else. Sure. So I try and not keep them on straight, just sand. But at the same time, I am the weirdo, and I've cut open gecko poo to make sure that there's not, like, a giant clot of sand in there. And there's some speckles here and there, but that's their diet. That's their way they do life. You know, they live in the desert. They're going to eat sand. They're going to pass it out, you know? Yeah. So all my tubs, um, they're for the most part, they're 16-quart, and then for the baby stuff, I have, like, some 10 or – I think they're maybe 10 or 11-quarts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost filled halfway with sand. Jesus. And that's so that I can, I can mist them down several times a week, and then the wet, compact sand lets them dig tunnels. And that is the coolest thing ever because now you see this gecko, like, all night long just digging tunnels, you know what I mean? Like, like lemming, just making this tunnel system, right. and then in the morning, it's, it's gone. No oh, shit. Like they did it for the night and then it's gone. Sometimes if I spray too much moisture and like it really gets in the sand, it's thick, it'll be there for like a day or two and then they'll knock it down and they'll build another one. Is so is it just that they're the in the tunnels or yeah, like they're not like,
1: saying. yeah, are they hiding or yeah, they, they, food or they're,
3: they're all the above, I guess. I mean, that's sometimes so weird. They'll, they'll make a, yeah, they'll make a little nook and they'll like sleep in there for a day or two and then they'll make another new little nook. And like I have some, some of my female synctus. They just sit on top of the sand. They just chill, you know, because they're in the dark drawer. They have ambient light because, like, obviously the room is a pitch black. It's, and when the sunlight comes through the window, they're mm-hmm. just sitting there chilling on the sand. No different than it would be if they were inside of, a, you know, an acacia bush or, like, under some, some, some rock crevices or something. They're still going to see the light. They're still going to know what time of day it is, right. but they're just going to tuck themselves back in the shadows.
1: Gotcha. So, are you using hides for these guys? Are you like flipping over to like a flower pot bottom type of thing, mm-hmm. or like is it?
3: Yeah. So right now, what I've got is um, I don't do water dishes. Basically, okay. I do misting, mm-hmm. and I they hate it when I spray them. But the minute I stop, they appreciate it because they lick the dew off their own body. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're we're talking about an animal that lives in the the harshest, hottest environments possible during the day, with some really cold and almost frostbitten nights. But in the rock crevices, in the nooks, in the acacia scrublands, you know, in the um, the spinifex grass. Like there are certain species, like uh, Stalatus and Dalinai and Levisimus that live in the root systems or in the sprout systems of the spinifex grass in the sand dunes, and that's where they live. That's their whole life. That's insane. So every morning. Right. Every morning, the moisture is going to come. It's going to stick to that plant life. It's going to stick to that rock, and that's where we have those micro, Those microclimates. So they're going to drink the dew off the walls. They're going to eat the bugs that are coming to drink the dew off the walls because outside of that little nook and cranny is the hot harshness of the outback. So I try and replicate that best I can in a tub. You know what I mean? And right. what I've got is I've got some flat flat pieces of shale that I'll stick in the sand at different angles um, and then I have some pieces of cork bark that I'll do the same thing I'll just shove them in there at different angles still giving them room to make quote unquote tunnels but if they want to just hide behind the cork ground the cork piece then make they, they can they can okay okay yeah cool
1: so do you miss you said you missed them what daily you said
3: um I try it? and do it like every Everything. I try to do it, like, every two or three days. Okay. Yeah, it's just because the tubs get so much humidity that, like, it'll run down the walls. And, you, can, you know, you see it kind of fogs up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't want them to be soaking wet and get any kind of blisters mm-hmm. or any kind of fungus or anything. So if that does happen, I'll wipe the walls of the tub down, but I'll leave the sand moist and let it kind of dry out for a couple of days. And sometimes I'll even go a whole week without misting them at all, you know. And uh, uh, the one that I have set up in the naturalistic enclosure, like in the glass tank— that one, I only missed him maybe two to three times a week. But when I do, I soak it down as if it had rained. Gotcha.
0: Okay. That that makes sense to me is sporadic stuff. Because, I mean, I'll remember one time I, t- I took uh, one of my Jags to the vet. And they're like, are you misting every day? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and they're like, why not? And I'm like, because it didn't rain every day. And they're like, you should yeah. really up the humidity and mist every day. I'm like, no. Can you please just give me the medicine that I came in here knowing I needed so that I can leave now. Right. It's like, this, yeah. yeah, sometimes people are just set in the ways where, you know, sporadic things like rain, sporadic things like feed schedules are actually, in my opinion, better for them. So,
3: yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it's, it's funny you mention that because I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, my snake had a bad shed. Now I got to do a rain chamber. And I'm like, okay, do the rain chamber, miss Mm -hmm. them down, you know, get the shed off, make sure the tail tip's good, blah, blah, blah. And then once you do that, start observing them drinking. Make sure Mm -hmm. they're staying hydrated. Because people don't think about that. They're like, oh, there wasn't enough humidity in the air, so therefore their skin was dry. Well, no, not quite. Because you think about the new skin is being made underneath the old skin, right? right? And it's staying hydrated in the body, in the epidermis, whatever you want to call it. And there's always that thin oil membrane that gives that fresh snake look, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if they're dehydrated internally, of course they're going to have a bad shed. Mm-hmm. So I've actually had times when I, whatever it was a, a Cobra or it was a carpet or whatever, where I noticed their, their sheds getting crappy instead of hosing down the cage with water, I'll put them in a container with an inch of water for like two or three hours. Yep. And then I'll do it a, a couple days later and just like almost like force them to drink. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, that, uh, and I don't want to say it's a guaranteed fix, but it does help to some degree. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, once they're uh, my white lips, when they when they go blue, they spend like 20 minutes in a bin with water, just, and then yeah. I make sure they got their their water bowls are filled to the brim. And um, I still get crappy sheds from them because they're idiots. But um, <laughs> hey, since I've been start, <laughs> since I've started soaking them, I'm like my 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 black face has been shedding. Complete sheds, and that's a relief to not have to hold down a white lip to peel the one oh, stuck yeah. shed under their chin. Like, yeah, no. So, yeah, it's it's all. Yeah, but everyone very
3: loves lasers' kisses.
0: Oh, of course, <laughs> they're just full of teeth and wonder. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. So we yeah, man.
3: We talked
1: we talked light. So what about temps? Like, I mean, because obviously they're using these microclimates and microhabitats. Obviously, yeah. they're not. You know, yeah. it's not one hundred and six degrees. <laughs>
0: wait don't set it to 110
1: degrees (laughs) no
3: (laughs) (laughs) so i'm kind of uh i'm kind of lazy in this regard and Mm. i'll admit it so the of the racks i have only one of them has the actual night drop (laughs) the rest of them are just constant and i know it's wrong but i do drop them for the seasons so when it's Winter, it, the temperature gradually gets dropped, and I have different temps for different species for different breeding cycles, of course, but right. for the most part, I'm looking at, like, 85 at the hottest spot and, like, 71 in the cool spot,
4: okay. and
3: and that's from, like, literally back of the tub to front of the tub, and the room that they're in is actually a colder room. It's, like, 70, 71 most of the time
4: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, which which I hopefully you know if I can play my cards right it'll be diamonds in the future <laughs> but um, <laughs> that being said um, I try and give them that much range even in their tub because I'll see them and they'll be sitting right on the hot spot and then 23 minutes later they're, you know, two inches to the right because it's not that hot over there. And they just – they go where they want. They get comfortable. And I leave it be. I don't I don't push one temperature or another unless it's wintertime, in which case then I know I'm going to gradually drop my temps over the course of, say, 30 or 50 days. Mm. And because I know the barometric pressure outside is going to change. You, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I know they're going to feel it. I know they're going to know it. instead of them being in there going, why is it so hot? It's winter. Right. You yeah. know? Right. It just kind of yeah. gives them that gradual thing and go from there. Just kind of play it by ear.
1: Cool. So what about, I mean, you're in Florida, so humidity isn't an issue for you. But what if somebody was from somewhere where humidity might be a little tougher um, just naturally? What, is that like where most people are using those like humid hides and stuff like that?
3: Yeah. And I actually, those humid hides are phenomenal if you get the right one. So okay. I don't
0: want to say, the, I don't want to say names. One of the... um terracotta
3: or yeah so okay. so the terracotta ones are the best and okay. the there's there's a couple companies out right now that are making them and they're i'll be honest they're total garbage they're they're not good mm-hmm. they're not what they're supposed to be mm-hmm. um however the best ones that were ever made and this is the story that i got from several other breeders is that they were made in india and basically it was terracotta and the top of it was a water dish. But the mm-hmm. water dish would only stay full for like an hour because that water would seep into the terracotta and then it would cause dew to be on the inside walls of the of the cave. And that's right. what you're going for. You don't want a water dish, you want dew on the inside of the cave. And those ones from India, they would order them by the hundreds and eighty percent of them would break in shipping.
2: Right. So like stop
3: buying them. Right, exactly. Yeah. So like sim container used to sell them and mm-hmm. now they don't because it just wasn't it wasn't lucrative, and I, I get that. Yeah. Um, there's a couple companies in Europe that make them, and they'll ship. But you you know who's going to spend you know thirty forty dollars in shipping for an eight dollar hide that is eighty percent chance going to break in shipping? You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, Pan, um, I'm pretty sure Pangea just came out with a really cool one where it's a sponge, and there's a sponge on top, and you hydrate the sponge, and the sponge seeps down, making the dew. But here's the problem is that you need to change that sponge frequently because now you're just building bacteria. It was a, that's, just a, building... that's a bacteria
0: factory, yeah. yeah.
3: Right. So I know a couple of friends uh, that are hobbyists that have tried the Pangea ones, and they say they work like a million bucks, but they only use it for two weeks. And they throw it away, and they buy a brand-new sponge that is, you know, uh, uh, not what they call it, uh, antimicrobial or whatever, mm-hmm. and synthetic and it's got no dye and whatever else, and then mm. they use that. And they, you know, they get a big one, they cut pieces of it off, and they go that route. Uh, but I would love to get my hands on some of those Indian ones, but again, I've I've never even seen one in person because they're just unavailable. So for me, I rather do the misting. You know, I have the Exoterra black top handle pump sprayer thing. And I just missed them, you know. Uh, and you mentioned Florida being overly humid. I'm sitting outside right now. It has got to be 100% humidity. I am sweating, but in the room right now, <laughs> right? But, <laughs> right, but in the room right now, if I have I have hygrometers on most of the females just to kind of keep an eye on it. Uh-huh. Uh The little tiny like cigar looking ones that Exeter used to produce. Um, yeah. I have those in there, and it's only like 37, 42 percent. Really, and then really? I'll miss them. And, and oh yeah, because we have air conditioning units, uh, and we have mm-hmm. ducking, and we have insulation. And just because it's one hundred percent humidity outside, and we're sweating when we walk from our door to our car,
4: mm-hmm.
3: it doesn't mean that that's what it's like in your bedroom right. or in your snake room. Right. Yeah. So I, I still have to compensate for a lack of humidity, even though it's Florida, and I'm dying right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Right. Yeah. yeah I know, And like, like a lot um, of times. People in Texas uh, a lot of times will have, you know, I know Rob talks about in Colorado too, where the humidity is like nothing, like zero. So you're not even starting from yeah. any kind of base or whatever, you know, something like that. I'm sorry, right, I cut you off. Right. What were you gonna say?
3: No, no. I mean that's you you basically said what I was gonna say is that oh. I'm sure there are people out there that are, you know, higher elevation and have a lack of humidity or lower elevation, you know, in a valley or whatever and have no humidity. Yeah. So I've told people in the past is Instead of just spraying down your enclosure, your tub, right? You know, move the rock, hose that rock down, then put the rock back down. You know, because it's going to stay in there for longer. Right. Um, yeah. Some people have used sphagnum moss in like, a, in like a little hide bowl. Okay. I don't like that because I've had too many animals, whether it be geckos or lizards or snakes, accidentally consume sphag, and they can't pass it and they get constipated mm-hmm. and they get impaction and it's a whole big thing. Right. So, so I mean, if you're going to use um, like spag to raise humidity, I say do it in like a little screened enclosure, or like, or one of those deli cups that have the fine mesh on top for like arachnids. Right. Right. And then that way, that way, if there is a cricket on top of that box, or there's a dubia roach on top of that box, when the gecko die bombs on it, it's not getting a mouthful of moss. Gotcha. So because yeah, the moss learned... is way wor- harder to digest. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So what we've learned: sand good. Moss, Moss
0: bad. bad. <laughs> okay.
3: Moss bad. Dude, <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> I and I just pulled up those
0: terracotta hides. God damn it. I wanted these for my white lips. And I'm, like, I'm like, I should have bought oh, them when dude. I got it. Yeah.
3: Damn it. They need to make a big one because could you imagine they if they do had a well, big I mean, one it's for not your white lips?
0: Oh yeah. That's oh God yes. I'd have Yeah, that I'd would have be tongues. perfect. Yes. For them and the ring. Tight, dark.
1: Humid. Huh. Oh yeah, to man. Hide, you know,
3: I mean, yeah, yeah. Like those those classic black plastic square rectangular hide caves. Imagine that, where the top of it is ceramic, and you give it it out. So now you have your little water bowl. You throw your Bismarck in there. He chills in the water for a couple hours. He says, you know what? I'm ready to go in the darkness. Slithers up in there, and now and it's just, time to clean the humidity. Cage. Just yeah. lift the thing up. Yeah, you're it's in dead. business. Yeah. Game.
0: All right. Um, anybody out there, if you work with terracotta and want to get involved in the NPR terracotta hide project, you shoot an email to info at mireliaputnamradio.com. We're gonna get this shit made.
1: Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I'm,
0: I'm, uh, I will not rest. We're gonna, we're <laughs> gonna buy stock and
3: bubble wrap. Goddamn right.
1: Owens <laughs> <laughs> oh, in quarantine. He's determined to make reptiles a business. Uh, I'm whenever, furloughed. Whenever I have. I've got, got nothing old. to do.
0: <laughs> I'm, I was going to tell you to send me the info for the the store because I was going to start working on t-shirts i'm bored damn it <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. that's done <laughs> now <laughs> he's
3: like damn. what i actually was going to bring up to you guys it's funny you mentioned the uh the temperatures and like we always we always try and match it to the wild right right sure. so um one of my best friends uh marcus he uh he has a company called mj ecological selfless bloods Mm-hmm. Um, he basically does invasive species removal. And I don't mean just like wrangling up iguanas. Like he does different kinds of plants and, and basically the management yeah. control of neighborhoods and stuff. Okay. So he used to work for a major research facility in Miami um, where we had sungazers. And, you know, him and I basically designed a 12 by 14 by 10 foot enclosure for a pair of sungazers. And one of the things we did was we built we put in built in ventilation, we had solar glow, you know, bulbs and everything was on timers, but every everything that was weather aspect was into a program for plant people who keep gardens indoors. It was like software like on an app for plant people. Mm -hmm. And you would link it to wherever the plant came from. So we put the thing for Johannesburg and if it rained in Johannesburg, it rained in that enclosure. If it got hot in Johannesburg, the temps went up in that enclosure. Wow. And, like, I thought about doing something like that similar. And I actually talked to Andy Middleton about it because, you know, he's he's the tech guy when it comes to, you know, the barometric pressure of his chondro cages. <laughs> right. And right. I think that that's something that we as herpers and reptile keepers could totally get on board with. And, like, even yeah. on a small scale with tubs and racks, like, it's totally doable. But I think that people overlook it, you know, because they think, oh, well, this thing's captive bread. It's never been in the outback. But you know what? There's no reason why we couldn't still replicate it.
0: Right, and also just because the temperatures might shift to a certain extent to – listen, I, I I would not have known that many of the snakes that I keep would do most of their activity at 70 degrees because that's not what I was yeah. taught. You know, hot spot this, cool right. side this. It, it's yeah. like they don't like they don't like the hot spot. They need it, but they don't like to hang out in there. So yeah. it's okay to drop my temps to 70 degrees at night because that's when all my snakes will move as long as they get their hot spot during the day. And to be honest, I've seen yeah. more activity out of my animals since I got back and started doing that kind of crap. But I, I would not known, I would not have known that we could be sweating to death at noon, and I could actually have somewhat of a chill by nine o'clock at night in Darwin, Australia. So awesome. awesome, you know. I, and I'm thinking about that with, uh, you know, I got white lips, I got team wars, I got other stuff like that, which it can be difficult to breed. And who's to say that? they're not going to be triggered because the temps do stuff that I would have never figured a Python that lives in uh, in, in the Timor would ever have. Like, you know, would it, I, don't, I would never right. have figured they would hit that temps. I did the same thing with the olive pythons. I would have never figured that they would have hit the temps that I dropped them to this year and I got eggs. So, yeah, exactly. I'd totally be on board for that.
1: I think there's a uh, Go ahead. Yeah.
3: No, no I was just going to say real quick is that so I mentioned those Rhodesian girdle tail lizards earlier. Yeah. You know, Marcus and I, we had like eight or nine different species of girdle tail, and we had a lot of trouble breeding them. And one of the first ones we did successfully was the Rhodesians because I figured out that where they come from in Zimbabwe, the temperature drop is easily 15 to 20 degrees every night, regardless of the time of year. Holy so, crap! Yeah, it's <laughs> so, right so even though it's hotter in summer it's still dropping 15 to 20 degrees every night. So I figured if I put the the exoterra that I had a pair in under an AC vent, that means during the day they're still getting the breeze, the fresh air from the AC vent but the heat lamp is keeping the hot spot at you know 87, 89, whatever it is. Right. And then at night it's dropping to like 61 because it's just getting all that air conditioner all night long. So that and that worked, and they, they produced several litters, you know? So I think little things like that, you know, like you said with the White Lips, man, who would have thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I think it was, um, uh, what? Oh, it's so many reptile podcasts anymore, I can't keep straight. Um, They're all the it was, same. It had to be the Gumbo Podcast, because it was Chris. It was Chris to let me. <laughs> I think that's the one he was on. Yeah, 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 the Gumbo Podcast. Yes, yeah. And, um. Basically, they were talking about, um, you know, I, I guess at the very end, they sort of were talking about his, well, his trip to Australia and then the, the trip he went on with us. But, like, um, you know, you, if you want to learn about the species that you keep, you know, the best thing you could do is go where they are.
4: You know I mean? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. You'll
1: you'll learn oh, yeah. things that you know. I, I and I was mentioning this. I think it was when me and Rob were talking last time. You know, I'm reading, going through the children's Python <laughs> book again, and and as I'm going through, it's like you 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 hear all these names, and now I'm putting an actual memory in my mind of being in that spot. And and what it felt like, and what the humidity was like, and what it was like at night, and what you know, what did the environment look like, and where there, you know, like where were the microclimates, where were the animals, what were the other animals doing, where were they at, where were the you know, where was the flying foxes at, where were the, you know, uh, the mammal life, where was the you know, the insect life, like what was going on in this snapshot that you have when you're reading a book. I don't know. It's just like whenever I come back from Australia, I try to like reread those books again to try to connect the dots so to speak you know what i mean it's it's oh yeah it's, it's oh yeah it's amazing you know but um but yeah it's <clears throat> i was gonna say in a, a minute uh, a couple minutes ago was that i think that this conception and i think you were hitting on it earlier oh and it's like you know yep. at least when i was coming into it it's like 90 degree hot spot you know this was how you kept carpets 90 degree hot spot 85 degree ambient and you know yep. i remember going and visiting luke snell and we started talking about it and he's like i don't know man it's just my animals don't seem right so i lowered the temperatures and i've seen a lot more um you know they, they seem to be they seem to enjoy it more they, they're 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 more active and you know i'm keeping them you know uh i think at that point the hot spot became 85 and yeah. the ambient was like 78 you know mm-hmm. and um just a whole different uh you know,
0: um... Yeah, I, I I killed all the heaters in my room, all the external heaters. Like uh, I had electric, I had electric heaters and stuff like that. The cages themselves give up enough heat to to heat that room to a point that it's like eighty something during the day, and then you know what? It can drop down. the the the, the they all have independent radiant heat panels. If by some weird Active nature, the room were to start dropping to below seventy degrees at nighttime, the panels would all kick on. Right. So yeah, until then, be snakes.
1: So as a plan, and as you they... know what,
0: if they drop, if they drop below seventy, it's not going to kill them. Yeah. It's not like they're all of a sudden going to turn to dust. It's <laughs> like so, Oh no. Gone. So <laughs> yeah. that
1: being said, is there like no no temperatures for geckos? Like, is there if you're if you're dealing with knobtails, is there like a certain range that you shouldn't go either below or above?
3: Yeah, I, I don't like to go, honestly, I don't like to go above 90 unless it's honestly during summer months Okay. because I feel like they they know that it's summer, regardless of the fact that it's a different hemisphere, mm-hmm. they know that it's summer. So if you're going above 90, you know, just because your room got hotter naturally because it's July or August or whatever, I would never go above like 90, 92. Some people say, hey, that's my hot spot. Well, you know what? If that works and they're happy, that's cool, but it's got to have a very dramatic cold side. And in terms of the cool temps, I would never go below, say, 65 because there's honestly no reason to. You know, if it does, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, it happens. But it's not going to get below 65 every single night unless you're in certain parts of the deep, deep desert, in which case those animals, they're up in their nook. You know, so you don't know if that nook is six inches or if it's, you know, four feet underground because they went into, you know, some kind of mammal burrow. And they're Mm -hmm. sleeping next to a fuzzy critter, you know?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't think about it, where it's like, uh, where were we? Where it was like 100-something degrees, and then we passed into a gorge where there was a creek, and all the bats were there, and it was like 72. Like, it's like, I'm going to have to send you
1: these pictures. Um, In the first trip, when we went to Chiligo, there was these caves that you could walk into. And when you walked into these caves, outside of the caves, it was probably close to 100 degrees. Inside the caves was 70.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, um, where do we find that, um, your blackhead stick gecko? What the hell was that one again? <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. That's, no, I don't wait, know what, what it is.
0: Um, it's some sort of really cool gecko. But, um, it was the, it was the, yeah, it was the
1: one tail.
3: Yeah. Do you know, long tails. Oh, uh, uh, I always butcher St- the name. It's, it's Stenophorus.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. found one of those, one and that one 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 was, at yeah, yeah. was at night. Yeah, it was
0: <laughs> at night on a stick, seventy degrees maybe, if that, and it was just chilling there, right. doing its thing. And yeah, that was it. Uh, you know, it, it's you think about it. When people give you temperatures of the range, they give you hot and colds for the where it is, not. Hot and colds of where the animal is going to live in these little micro habitats.
1: So, yeah, here's a, here's well, a, I was st- say, oh, go ahead.
3: No, just real quick, just on this topic is, yeah. you know, I got one friend who's all the way in um, like in a shark coast, like, you know, Perth area, south extreme west coast of Australia. And, you know, he tells me that when he finds knobs, the coldest it ever is is like 68, 70, just because that's where he is on the globe. But then you talk to my friend Elliot, who's in Queensland, and I see him on like a Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., and he has a heavy jacket on because it's, it's like 55, you know? Yeah. And it's just that it, – it, it's such a big continent. It's such a big world, you know, that we, we, over, we overthink it. And I think that the two of you guys are awesome because not only did – I mean, you've gone to different spots in Australia, but you went at different times of the year too. So you're getting an even better, you know, array of, of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean. Yeah, it's, we tried to purposely, yeah, because I want to experience that, man. I want to experience all that. Yeah. I want to know exactly yeah, yeah. what it's like at, 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 at different times because if you only have this little snapshot of, of, the, of this specific time, you know, you could be missing out. What I was going to ask is, like, so when you're setting these up, because they're not naturally baskers. I mean, they're not coming out and basking under this hot spot, right? Right, right, okay, so like when you're setting up these hides, are you doing one on the on the warm end and one on the cold end or are you you focusing it more on the on the cooler end
3: oh no it's 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 completely filled with the exception of like I don't want to say like a fire lane like mm-hmm. you know what I mean like I, I give them room to, to walk and traverse and I like to have some some bald spots in there where you know if I throw the crickets in, I'll throw it in like a little clearing so that it has like a little like a little buffet for them, you know what I mean <laughs> but mm-hmm. right? But every single time I sift the sand and I take everything out to, you know, take care of the poo and stuff, mm-hmm. I change it up completely.
1: Oh, so okay.
3: I, so yeah, you change the
1: environment that, every time.
3: Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe once a week, once every ten days, whenever I get around to it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, and I just change it up, and it's always the same. I use the same rocks for each gecko. I use the same cork pieces for each gecko because I want them to still have that smell. Right. And yeah. we have we have no idea how sensitive their tongue and their their noses and stuff because not many people are studying them. You right. know, and we really don't even know the whole purpose of the actual knob itself. You know, that's one of the things my so buddy Elliot was question. doing was research. Yeah. Yeah, research on the knob, and we know that it's chock full of sensory organs. Almost, uh, is it's supposed to be more than a shark's face. So what? you think about how, yeah. So you think about how sensitive a shark's face is, and then we just grab these geckos and like we're touching the tail, and like they're whipping the tail around, they're smacking the tail around. They use the tail during mating, they use the tail during defense measures, and like, who knows what that thing is sucking in, so to speak. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Do they drop the tails? like other geckos
3: no, no. well
0: oh my god a
3: gecko so, i can't break oh my god yeah there you go Dude, i do not pick up crested geckos if they have a tail i
0: do not Yeah. no no nah, they just break
3: because i'm that guy yeah uh so <laughs> certain species <laughs> certain species of of tails can drop their tail on um, mm-hmm. the levy the levees complex as well as the wheeler complex so you know uh the banded knobs yeah they can drop their tail Um, I actually have – one of my breeder females has a regen tail, and it looks just like a normal leopard gecko regen where it's like this weird fatty blob. Right. Um, But what's funny is when they regenerate that tail, there is no knob, and it has – it still has like the fatty deposits, but all of the tubercles that are on the outside of the skin, Uh um, those those rosettes of scales, they're gone. And it still has like a sandpapery touch to it, Uh but it's not as – abrasive as the tubercles that were there before they dropped that tail. And there's, no, and there's no knob. So my question is, is that when that regen tail comes up, does it still have any of those sensory organs in it that the knob had before? Right. Or is it completely gone and now they have to use other senses? Or, they're, or like, like are they chastised because they lost their tail?
1: Right. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. See, that this is the weird kind of stuff that I geek out about, you know, like learning that stuff. It's like uh, uncharted territory, if you will, you know, like trying
3: to. Oh, and, and I'll tell you, like, I don't even get mad that I did. I had a bunch. I had like four or five pairings this season with the, with the bandits
4: mm-hmm.
3: and only one of them actually locked up. But what's crazy is the female, if she's unreceptive, she'll mimic a male's posture. So, oh. the male comes in oh yeah it's, it's amazing to watch and i mean it's kind of shitty because you know they're not going to breed at that point so like you might as well just pull them apart but right and uh because the male he'll stand up on all four legs like he'll posture up like hey baby, look at me right. and then he picks his, his tail flat up in the air and starts to undulate it left and right and he's now like we call it peacocking like just like a the peacock bird opens his big tail and shows those pr- big, pretty blue feathers. Mm-hmm. So the male starts peacocking, waving his tail, and it, the undulation is so smooth. It's like it's like watching water being poured out of a cup. Like, it's so fluid.
4: Wow. And
3: he starts, you know, bobbing up and down, and, you know, he gives her the, hey, baby, how you doing? How you doing? And if she's unreceptive, she stands up too. her tail goes straight up in the air, she, she won't do the like uh, paddle waving like the males do, but the knob itself will undulate left and right, and she'll bark at him, and he'll kind of cower back because obviously she's a lot bigger than him, and it looks scary. But it's amazing to watch, man. Like 90% of the time, that tail does nothing. It just sits there. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, it has 5,000 reins of motion.
1: Wow. Jesus. That's
0: cool. So can, can you keep them in groups together? Like, Can they be housed in small groups or is it like solo until breeding season?
3: I keep everything solo just because I want to keep tabs on what's going on. Right, And I know people that keep certain species communally, like uh, the wheeler eye, wheeler eye, and the wheeler eye, or excuse me, the, the actual wheeler eye, they changed it. And the synctus I know people that have kept them communally. I know people that have kept pilvarensis and levies, levies communally. Um, it's very similar to other animals where you have one male and like four or five females, mm. but males will fight. But it's not like any other species that like beat the crap out of each other.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, you look at like two male crested geckos; one of them's going to get jacked up. But, yeah, like, like... The non They kind of just like get annoyed with each other. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, what is it? There's always the thing of that. Oh, we've had one leopard gecko forever, and we're going to get him a friend, and then you accidentally put two males in the same cage, and it's on. You know, and yeah. they can they yeah. can kill each other. You know. Oh yes, yeah,
3: most definitely. So, like so I, don't do morbid, that. They, they really don't. Out of more okay. curiosity, I did it once just to see what happened. And uh, I, I did it during breeding season because I really wanted to see how – I wanted to see if maybe this male that I was using wasn't dominant enough to the females because they were unreceptive or whatever. So I put them together, and they basically mating danced each other, <laughs> and then one bit the other one in the face real quick, just like a quick little nip, like, get away from me. Mm-hmm. And then they both just kind of sat there and did nothing, huh. and that was it. So <laughs> I, I pulled them apart. You know, I'm sure other people have probably had horror stories. And they, I do not recommend anyone who keeps novelties to put two males together just to see what happens. I don't recommend that. Yeah. But from my observations, they're not like leeches or they're not like Gila monsters, where you're going to walk in, there's going to be another dead lizard.
0: Right. It's not like that kind of stuff. It's, it, yeah. It's more like carpet combat. It can be ritualistic. Not that carpet combat is gentle. <laughs> But you know, it's right. Right. There usually isn't a death involved. Yeah. So. And
3: I'm sure it's it's like Scrubs, where you know I I, don't, I have very little little experience with Somalia, but I've seen some friends that they kept two males together their entire year, and mm. they took one male out and put the girl in there, and then when they took the girl back out after she got bred or didn't get bred, and put the male back in, now the males are getting combative because they both smell that female. Yeah. Like, I, I haven't tried anything like that, but who knows what will happen.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it, cohabbing is one of those weird things because it's like the same thing with like what you said. It's like I like having keeping tabs on everybody. Um, I've started cohabbing a few things, but you know, you have to keep and don't start thawing rodents until you've separated all your cohabbers, like because that's just asking for trouble. So there's yeah, a lot of that yeah. kind of stuff you have to worry about, but.
3: So- and like with those, uh, those girdle tail lizards I have, mm-hmm. I actually, let's say I get a litter of, because they're live bears, let's say I get a litter of four babies, right? Mm-hmm. Which is typically a a big litter for them. Um, I'll cohab them for the first like five months because yeah. I want to see who is the dominant one so that I can remove that one. And that way, that one can get his own food on the side and then the other ones aren't being deprived of food or they're not, not being overly stressed out. Because like a lot of these small lizards, man, the stress is what gets them. Yeah. You know, it's not the fact that you know they're not eating enough or they're not drinking enough. No, it's they're not eating enough or drinking enough because they're stressed out.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, that sounds like uh, when my friend did uh, black throats and mangroves. That's what we did is they were together, and then when you found out who was picking on everybody, he got his own special cage, and um, everybody else was able to eat and cohab and do all the other fun stuff. But it was usually. (laughs) Oh, like, there were two or three that would just pick on everybody, and then they got in their own cage, and everything kind of settled down to when you got, like, groups of—I like, think he started with a clutch of, like, 10, 15, and then eventually he'd be down to, like, two or three groups of five or a couple of groups of three, one group of four, that kind of stuff, where, wow. just, where everyone worked out. So, it's weird with That's that kind cool. of stuff. Yeah.
1: You know, when it comes to feeding with these guys, you sort of hit on it a little bit with the varied diet and stuff and supplements. I mean, are they? Maybe you can walk us through, like, um, you know, what are you? What is the diet that you're varying? Is it, you know, I would imagine um, crickets are a big part of that, and you know, maybe what else that you're you're doing and yeah, supplementation and stuff like that.
3: Right. So um, I have a couple different vitamins, uh, that I mix. And most of the stuff I use is actually, oh, I think it's rapashi. It's the hmm. red cap with the yellow leopard gecko on it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, the manager of the retail store underground, um, him and I are, are big on like nerding out. I mean, you guys nerd out too, you know, we, we want to know the facts. So, Him and I sat down one day with, like, 15 different calcium supplements, like multivitamins, and we picked out, like, which one had the most phosphorus opposed to how much this one had of, uh, you know, dried kelp and, like, all the crap that's in there that is filler or whatever. Right. I kind of mix my own now. And I didn't know this. Actually, Justin told me this, that apparently the longer – they put an expiration date on it because they want you to buy more. But apparently that expiration date is genuine because some of the – vitamins I guess lose their potency mm-hmm. so I try to keep the freshness of the multivitamin and the calcium stuff like every four or five months I'll kind of throw away what I got and just get new just to be on the safe side
4: mm-hmm.
3: um but in terms of the prey item itself I use crickets the majority mm-hmm. and I got lucky man because some people have horrible luck with their nobtails and eat crickets um but I do crickets and I'll do uh, hornworms, which are small enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also do some small. Uh, I can't remember whichever the whichever the roaches that's allowed to be in Florida. I have those that I get. I don't remember <laughs> discoy dubia, I don't remember which ones which. But the ones that are supposed to be allowed in Florida. Okay. Um, and I'll do those. But I don't like doing the roaches unless it's a baby on paper towels because um, if I do the roaches in the sand, they burrow in the sand and the gecko never gets it. Mm-hmm. so and you
0: know, then you have three four roaches days, yeah
3: right exactly three four days later i'll sift the sand and i'll find four or five dead roaches and the gecko's looking at me like what the hell bro i never ate any. <laughs> so yeah so i do a lot of crickets i, I really love those hornworms because they are so nutritious mm-hmm. but at the same time they do have a lot of fattiness and like that that they almost have too much fattiness so i'll ration them out for the most part um but if I'm gone for a week, let's say I go on a business trip for a week, mm-hmm. I'll feed them four or five of those beforehand just to kind of give them a full belly. That way they're fine for the whole week and I don't have to worry.
0: Gotcha. And how often are you, I mean, like, I, how often is mealtime? You said it was once a week or you said you kind of
3: varied no, that up too. Yeah, it, it depends on the species. So, like, I have baby *Underwoodosaurus milii that I got, and those things are just the stupid cutest thing you've ever seen. They're so <laughs> tiny. Um, <laughs> And like it's it's hilarious. Actually, I got them from Lillian Ward at DW Geckos. He's awesome, and uh, he breeds amazing geckos. And I went to Daytona this this last year's Daytona, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey man, I want some some babies. And he cherry picked me, you know, what he thought might be hypos, whatever. And they actually turned out to both be hypos, which was awesome. Nice. And uh, and I have them on paper towels, so I will give them, you know, three or four worms, and they'll be cool. And then. I, maybe the next day or the day after I'll notice how big their belly is. Have they digested yet? Have they pooped yet? You know, mm-hmm. how big was the poop? Was it kind of meh or was it like a solid, you know, a, a good size stool, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and just go from there. But like the big adults, I'll feed them three times a week. And I just give them, you know, four to six, you know, three quarter size crickets, you know, three to, Maybe two to three times a week, depending on how big the crickets are. It depends on what what day I go buy them because I'm the weirdo who doesn't keep crickets at home. I go and I buy them like a couple times a week. You just, you know, you just dump guy. them in immediately, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I live really close to a bunch of pet stores, so I'm kind of blessed in that capacity. Yeah, but, crickets suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no. crickets, are, crickets are horrible. I hate crickets, but they work like a million bucks. The geckos mm-hmm. like them, and it works. And I've had babies that I had to tweezer feed a roach, you know, and you just kind of make it wiggle in front of them. And I've also had babies that just ate off the bat. You know, I got lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy Elliot, who's in Queensland, when he was doing the research with the, with the Aspers, he had to literally grab the adults because they're wild caught. He would grab the adults and he would hold them appropriately and he would wiggle it in front of their face. They would get mad and just like a, a baby Chondro or a baby mm. Amazon, you know, they bite out of defense and then they realize that they have this food in their mouth and they start eating it. And he would do that with every single gecko. And like, oh, that's the, taxing.
0: How yeah. many did he have? I don't even want to know. No, <laughs> too many. No, that's that's the wrong answer. Dear
3: God. Yeah. <laughs> too many. Yeah. Yeah. But he was also wow. he was also you know in 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 research and he was in college doing it for research. So like his day to day was studying these lizards both in the field and in captivity. So it wasn't that big a deal to him. I doubt he would be. Do- I doubt any of us would be doing that at home if unless we really had to. You know. You
0: really got to love these things if you're going to do like what bust out two hours of your day yeah. to feed an angry gecko. It's food. Yeah. Dear God. Yeah. Right. Right.
3: But yeah, man, I mean, I just, I do crickets. I do, uh, corn worms because they move a lot more. I'll do the, the, the small species of roaches, the terrestrial roaches that don't climb. And I've tried wax worms. I've tried mealworms. And the problem is, is they don't move enough. You know, mm-hmm. it's still a gecko. It still has vision based on movement for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they're not, they're not into it. You know, I right. put I'd put them in a little dish with the powder and just kind of walked away. And the next morning there's a bowl full of worms. So you got to kind of play with it. I'm sure other people have had complete polar opposites with their feeding. Their lizard loves to eat wax worms. Who knows? Right. But that's just that. that's what I do. Right.
0: Okay. Is, is there anything you should completely, totally avoid when it comes to these guys as far as like food items like super yeah. worms or something like that?
3: No. I mean, they're. They're in the wild. The majority of their prey is not insects. It's actually like arachnids and isopods and stuff like that. So depending on the part of Australia that they're coming from, there isn't crickets or grasshoppers. So they're eating spiders and they're eating isopods and they're eating small species of centipede and uh, small types of weevils and stuff like that. Um, There's actually a really great study on the digestive traits of like five different species of knobtail that came out of uh, the university of australia in perth mm-hmm. from like maybe 2015 or so 2013 and they basically cut open like a thousand specimens from different museums from around the world as well as stuff from all over australia and they checked the stomach contents and it's, you'd be amazed at what these things are eating in the wild. And like, some of them are almost exclusively on spiders. You know, They hmm. eat crickets for us in captivity, but this particular gecko lived in an area where there was no grasshoppers. There there's was a shit no, on spiders. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's well, shit on the spiders, right? Yeah.
1: I can hmm. personally tell you, and Owen can tell you, many times we were fooled by this eye shine. That oh my we could not God, figure fuck out those spiders. For the life of us, one of those this spiders. Planet? and they were awesome. every Huge! And everywhere.
0: And you're everywhere. like, oh my god, giant-ass spider. Never mind. Oh my god, giant-ass spider. Yeah, no.
1: Everywhere. Ugh. I mean, there had yeah. to be... How much would you say, Owen? Hundreds? Dude, you... No, we, here's the thing. Is the first like day we're, we're herping, that
0: makes we're like, oh! Sense. Yeah. And, and we stopped. And then after after a while, we're like, if you saw tiny amounts of eye shine out in the bush, we just ignored it, because it was just 20 or 30 of those spiders just off the path,
1: yeah. Nuts. Like, you would oh, yeah. pull off the That's road awful. to go look at a section, you know. And, like, think of like, I don't know, just think of like you're pulling, you're, you're road cruising or whatever, you see some eye shine, you pull off, you go look, you're looking at like, you know, I don't know, how big would that space be, uh, you know, maybe not.
0: But they were tiny spiders with just huge ass eye shine, like, oh, yeah. you, you were walking up on it were, expecting nuts. to find. Like a lizard or a gecko, or and it was this little spider that it's just its whole head
1: glowed. It was ridiculous. Like it was so. Annoying. <laughs> that's so awesome, though, because how oh, that makes cool. me. It's I don't awesome. know. That just connects the dots again. You know, we're talking, we're sitting here talking, and yeah. you're saying about how they're eating majority spiders, and it's like, oh, and I'm yeah, just I can see why that would be because... the case. You know. And all I can
0: think about is yeah. just how many times did we wander off the path walking for about five minutes until someone went, nope, spider, and we all turned <laughs> back around. Yeah, so.
3: Yeah, it's wild. That's awesome. Oh. What, what's oh. funny is uh, one thing I will say is that there's actually a push in, and I'm sure most of the breeders both in the United States as well as Europe don't advertise this because mm. it is extremely taboo, but they're they're growing up <laughs> Other species of gecko to feed to their knobtails, oh my because God. a lot of knob <laughs> oh yeah a lot of knobtail species are gecko eaters in the wild so like for example the Geira variegata i believe it is which is a very very small species of terrestrial gecko um that when an adult amia or excuse me amii is you know a big diesel 40 50 gram gecko mm-hmm. it's not going to eat a dinky little spider it's going to eat another gecko and from mm-hmm. what I've gathered through my meager research is that they're not cannibalistic on other, you know, knobtails of the genus or the species, but they're going to eat every other little gecko they can find that's smaller than them. So I know there's a couple people in the U.S. that are breeding Pictus geckos specifically for food for their knobs as like an enrichment program or like a supplementary diet program. Mm-hmm. I know there's a couple people that are breeding Bino geckos because they're parthenogenic. So, you get, you know, five or six little bino geckos, and in a year you have a whole colony, and now they're going to continue to breed and continue to produce offspring that you can feed as a supplement to your larger knobtails, providing that that's what they eat in the wild. Yeah, that's cool.
0: And you know what? You might get problem feeders to eat better and faster. Yeah.
3: You
1: know. Yeah. I've been saying this for years, and every time I talk to somebody that works with Antaresia or Aspidites or any of these, like, you know, quote-unquote, you know, gecko eaters for hard-to-get-going species, like, why don't we just feed them what they're supposed to eat? You know? Diamond pythons are notorious for, like, getting being difficult to start because why? They eat geckos in the wild. That's what they're eating, geckos and skinks, you know? I mean. um, Right. So... Like, you're telling me now that these Knobtail guys are like, you know, you snake guys are like, <laughs> you're so, dude, like, 1982, <laughs> so man. Far behind. We're, like, wavy. <laughs> we're, like, light years ahead of you guys, man, you know? Like... I,
0: I was actually thinking yeah. about this this week because I'm trying to get a clutch of jungles to eat, and all I can think about is, God, I wish I had some of those little skinks that were running around, like, in Australia, just pop those fuckers in there and be like there if you Don't won't
1: smack it down and yeah, i mean some, something in their brain like point, dude you know dude let's put it this
0: way right. I, I i uh the 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 red tiger jack i got from you mm-hmm. um she took her first meal yesterday okay and she's she was she didn't take a live a hopper one offered and she didn't take a frozen thawed one hopper uh one offered but I, I took a frozen thaw and i covered it with chick down and she did the same thing she does all the time. She kinda hid, shied away from it, and then she held it out there. And you could almost see the gears turning as she started flicking her tongue. She kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then she's got her whole face in the chick down, and then she just opens her mouth and just starts instinctively eating the thing. Yeah. And that's just it. Like sometimes you need to have that thing that clicks in the back of their head. So if your gecko is primarily a gecko eater, it would probably be better to get it to just eat what it's naturally supposed to eat. Like if I'm having a problem with a carpet, I, you better believe I have like the gecko juice and the lizard juice and all that other crap, because somewhere in the back of their heads, even no matter how far this thing is removed from the wild, something's going to click to tell them that that is a food item. Yeah. And you know, it's oh, just yeah. like how, how many, uh, what what is it? I want to say that King Cobras that are kept primarily as snake eaters do better than the ones that we transfer over to rodents.
3: Of course, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. so it might yeah, that, even that's help you have, Yeah, that's why you have a 30, 35-year-old King cobra, or you have a King cobra that died prematurely at 12 years old.
0: With fatty deposits know, all over it.
3: It's like, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, there's a lot of guys in Europe that they'll skin the rats before they feed it to the King cobra. I'm like, well, that's great because they can't digest the fur, but, they're not designed. Their body is physically not designed to digest that much muscle tissue. Yeah, like it's just not happening, you know? Right. Or that much calcium in those bones, you know, and sinew uh-huh. and all that stuff.
0: I mean, let's let's put it this way. Um I put my white lips are on a primarily bird diet. Because yeah. they, the white lips are the only pythons that I know of that'll hack up a hairball. And we're all like, Oh, interesting. No, that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> like that that's that's, yeah. that's not right, and primarily on birds, um, and they've slimmed down, and they've got that distinct head-to-neck different. Like, you can see where the head ends and the neck begins, which is something I think you lose pretty quick with pythons if they're fat. So
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's— You know, or their, their head's the size of, a, of a, you know, a baseball, but their body's the size of a cantaloupe.
0: Exactly. You know, it's— <laughs> That's an issue, so it's it's one of those things where if the gecko is a primarily gecko eating species, I don't think anybody can be shocked if you start breeding a colony of geckos. I almost almost wish that there were there was an accepted feeder gecko or feeder skink that were like, "Hey, give me like twenty of those
3: or give me like three of yeah. those, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because like we always talk about baby snakes you know whatever species it is whether it be morelia or liasis or whatever you know we try and scent with a baby gecko right mm-hmm. so or yeah. an adult gecko so you buy a frozen house gecko from a from a reptile show and that's your one feeder frozen gecko and you rub it on every blood everything that you can or everything you know, everything right, <laughs> right. It's, just, it's just it's used as a, as, a, as a salt lick
0: you saw you, you it with the fuzzies like a bullion cube. Yeah, and then you exactly, put it back in the freezer. Exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yep. You got it. So then but you look at these some of these gecko species that for example, we talk about the Bino geckos because some of the people who are apprehensive to breed Pictus because. So, or, let me digress. So, we look for these small gecko species that are small enough for an adult knobtail to eat, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: And like Pictus geckos, for example, are super duper tiny, but they're from North Africa. They're not from Australia. So, do you really mm-hmm. want to feed it or do you not? So then you get the guys that get the Binos that are actually from Australia, but the problem is, is a baby Bino is still too big for a baby knobtail to eat. If a baby knobtail is only two inches long and Three grams, if that, two and a half grams. It can't eat a one-gram gecko. It's just physically impossible. But an adult, oh, it's going to slurp them down like spaghetti. Yeah, but it's... Have uh, you ever, guys, have you ever seen a lizard regurgitate? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -mm. Um, I mean, I've seen, like, monitors do it, which is just fun. Because it's just like, and like a whole... But that just goes flying across the cage. It's like, oh, nice. Right.
3: So it's like you. But you never hear. You never hear about like crested throwing up or bearded dragons throwing up or blue tongue skinks throwing up. Now, they may do it. I don't know. Those aren't my kind of species. But I was shocked because when I first got in knobtails, my geckos were throwing up. And I was like, oh, my okay. God, what have I done? Yeah, what I break? I'm killing them. Right, well, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, God, it's Emerald Tree Bows all over again. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, God, it's happening again. <laughs> it's happening again. Oh, no. Um, so, <laughs> so I realized, and I asked a couple friends in Australia, and they're like, you're feeding him too much. And I'm like what? <laughs> they're like they're like yeah man. Stop feeding them so much. They're gonna eat because they don't know when their next meal is. You know they're gonna eat everything that they can because they may go weeks if not a month without food. So they're gonna scarf it down. Well, I, I'm finding these like owl pellets in my gecko cage, and I'm like why? Where is this coming from? Why are they throwing up? It's because I overfed them. So I do think that people need to be mindful that. They can't just throw in crickets and throw in crickets and throw in crickets because now they're going to get in the habit of eating too much and throwing up and eating too much and throwing up. And now they're not retaining any of those nutrients, and then you're going to get a problem. It's going to add stress and dehydration and whatever else. Got so I, I'm glad I learned that quick. You know, I learned it the hard way, but I had geckos that survived from it, and they're fine. And I, I just – I'd like to tell people that because I'm like, listen, this is not a leopard gecko. This is not a fat gecko. Do not shove crickets down its throat because <laughs> it's going to get sick.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean it's, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean that they they got a when, when does a snake puke, in the wild when it eats something huge and then people are pestering it. And it's like Bleh, and because it needs to get away, so it would make right. sense for a knobby if it eats a shit ton, and then is trying to run around and do knobby things in its cage and it's just like now nah, I, I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta lose some some junk in here. I gotta lose some weight, you know. Yeah, so you can move around.
3: So that makes sense, but Jesus. Well, that's that's the classic, the classic argument of the zombie apocalypse. You know, you only have to be as fast as your slowest guy because yep. you know he ate too much, and that's the <laughs> same mean, concept. Yeah, I mean,
0: just yeah. yeah. It, it, what is the thing? Is the um, uh, the the hunter in the woods was able to escape a bear with a twenty two. His friend that he shot in the kneecap was not so lucky. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh man, (laughs) let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, just like how to breed these guys. Are they difficult? Are they are there are there gradients of difficulty in breeding species? Or is some more difficult than others? Yeah,
3: Yeah. I would. I've only been. I've only. All right. So I've only owned three different species. So Mm -hmm. I can't vouch for the other ones. I just can't because Mm -hmm. even though I've had more than three species, I haven't had pairs or i haven't had them to adulthood or whatever right so i would say that they're not impossible by any means necessary once you've got things dialed in right. then you're set but you can't just throw them together you have to get the feeding schedule correct you have to get the temperatures correct you have to make sure that it's the time of year you can't just throw a male and a female together in july because they're not going to do it um there was a paper out from uh Oh, man, I think it was Glenn Milton Starr, who's one of the leading Australian taxonomists.
4: Mm -hmm. You know, he
3: put out a paper decades ago about the um, ovarian follicles dropping and creating in in comparison to testicular activity per the months of the year. So even so you look at this correlation between, you know, the, the female is preparing ovum and the male's testicles are actually working at that time of the year. Well, that's optimal. And you see these peak months of like, obviously, the southern hemisphere, so it's different. So you'll see this peak month of like September, the end of September starts to get good. And then October, it's like, wow, look at this. And then right around the beginning of November, it's like, boom. And then it slowly starts to decrease. And by Christmas, you got nothing. Right. And then on occasion, depending on where they are on the continent, you know, how close you are to the equator and what have you, how close you are to the, the heat of the desert, what have you, you see another spike in like March and April you know so okay. we can take that and we can ex- extrapolate anything from that and reverse it for northern hemisphere it would be very similar to our spring and fall you know right. you can't in our spring and fall you can't throw them together in july it's not going to work
2: right. now yeah.
3: i'm sure there are people that have you know that they're, they're like the ball python brothers and they're like oh the animal doesn't know we'll just Make it a temperature, right. and I'm sure that's worked for some people. But I'm sure it's definitely not worked for others. I also so,
0: think it's a hard boulder to push uphill. I mean, oh, most definitely. Well, why? 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 Like, I'm gonna try to make July in December. Why not just just yeah. make December December? <laughs> like, it's so much easier. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> so. I actually, I tried to, I tried to do like what I would call a mini season. Mm-hmm. Um, one time, I basically in, I kept attempts the same. Um, Dirt going into season, and then I dropped the temps pretty quick, colder than I normally would, and I kept it like that for, like, three weeks. I didn't feed them. I kept missing, you know, I kept the dew, so to speak, but I, I I did this rapid cold thing for a short time, and I brought it back up, and none of them wanted to do anything. They were just like, really, bro? Did you really just do this <laughs> Really? <laughs> And they're all looking at me like, was that necessary? You right. know what I mean? And I got yeah. nothing. So now I know I have to, I have to keep to the, the seasonal formula, you know, just like, mm-hmm. just like everyone does with every other species they do. you know, it's, you got to go with the time. And it's, it's how much food and how much food at that time of the year. You know, in wintertime, there's less food. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spring is the time of plenty. Animals are making babies. You know, the, the bugs are breeding. The bugs are having eggs. Now, all of a sudden, those eggs are hatching. You know what I mean? Now there's more bug food. More bug food causes more gecko food. More gecko food causes more baby geckos, and so on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's difficult. I think you got to pay attention to what you're doing.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Become a student of the you know, gecko instead of
0: the FG,
3: serpent. And <laughs> yeah. that's. No, that's it's not. Yeah, yeah it didn't serpent. work. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: okay. Yeah. So, so, is it. It's, so basically, you're saying there's a couple different factors that you know to get these to go. One would be feeding, and one would be you know, just yes. them knowing the temperature. Is it is it yeah? Like the temperatures dropping, like daily temperatures, or is it just the nighttime temperatures that are are dropping? Similar to like what no,
3: it's 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 a dramatic. Daily, night and day. Okay. So okay. you're you're creating you're creating seasons in captivity. Yeah. Yo-yo kind of a theory, deal. In it, theory, yeah, it should correlate to outside. You right. know, what I mean, because it's very difficult to replicate the opposite hemisphere in mm-hmm. captivity. It's, sure. it's hard, you know. Right. So you're doing this gradual drop into winter, then you're coming out of winter into spring, and now this is when you're going to start seeing the reproductive, you know, stuff popping off, right. and now you're going to start pairing. You're going to get copulation, and then depending on the species, it's anywhere from you know 30 days, 40 days, whatever it may be. Afterward, now you're having eggs being laid. So you got certain species that only produce. First of all, all knobtails, for the most part, drop two eggs per clutch. That's it. Okay, that's um, it. that's it. Every once in a while, you'll get a random third egg in that same clutch, but that's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Now, certain species like Stellatus, the starry knobtail, um, that's typically three or four eggs at a time. And okay. in captivity, you don't see that. Um, you'll see it on occasion, and when someone does produce four eggs at once, they're like, oh, my God, I got four eggs. This is crazy. But in the wild, observations are showing that they are doing four eggs, boom, every time. Um, but then you also have certain species that will do multiple clutches throughout a season. So, like, for example, example the amoei, or the Aimei, that is the the knobtail, the one that the big, the giant one. It's the biggest gecko in all of Australia. It's the biggest gecko in the Carphodactylidae family, and that's the one that people know and love as the traditional knobtail. It's the big, spiky one with the crazy tubercles and the right. little blunt, you know, snub-nosed tail. Mm-hmm. You're lucky if you get two cl- two clutches. You know, you're you're seeing one clutch a year, maybe two clutches, and that's it for the whole year. Which is also another reason why in the pet trade they're they're expensive because right. there's only so many of them out there, you know? Um, and then you get stuff like the th- right. right, the synctus where I mean, crap, I have females that did like five clutches in a year. Holy Damn. And like the last yeah, the last two clutches were infertile because she used up all that sperm. You know? Yeah. And I mean and I I don't know if that was Three clutches from one actual copulation, because obviously she's copulating multiple times to, to to get things going, Um and copulating after laying eggs too, just to kind of see how things go. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot. That's a lot of eggs for one animal.
0: Yeah, yeah it is.
3: You know, and, and especially since the eggs are almost as, they're almost as big, if not bigger, than their head. Oh
1: shit! So they're big. Head. Wow. That's
0: yeah, delightful. that's a lot of eggs to have in just in her body during the pregnancy. That's a lot. There's not a lot of space there. Right.
1: Is there any right, sort right. of like uh, supplements that you do for the female, like calcium supplements or anything going into breeding?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll do more calcium than I will the multivitamin. I'll just you know when I when I mix my little cricket dusting bag, mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll make I'll make the ratio you know two you know two thirds opposed to fifty fifty, um, and then afterward it's crucial. And then afterward, I'll, after she lays the first clutch, that's when I really start bringing in like the hornworms. And like just getting her to eat more because I need to replenish all those nutrients, right? You know, and and I think that I, I'm because I'm not, you know, breed it, breed it, breed it, breed it, breed it. I'm more of a I want to see how this goes and enjoy this and let her live her best life possible. Sure. I don't want to force too many clutches. I don't want to I don't want to stress her out because you think about it too is. I'm checking that once I know that it's the time that she's going to drop. I'm checking the tub every single day, sometimes three times a day, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just me lifting the tub up and holding it in the air to see in the bottom. And other times, I'm taking her out and rummaging around in there and messing everything up because I got to find these eggs, and that's got to be stressful too, you know.
0: Yeah. So, so they do bury the egg. They do bury the eggs in the sand. Oh yeah, and and
3: okay. I, I've I have some of them that I make a little nest box where. I'll leave the cage really dry and then the next box will be like soaking wet sand because they want to bam they want to bury them in the humid sand. Right. And if I do the whole enclosure, it doesn't even look like she ever dug. Hmm. Like they are so good at burying their eggs, it's it's like she never did anything at all.
1: Hmm. Huh. Wow, that's great. Are are they is it like um you know like, like monitors are really specific about you know, temperature of the nest box or anything like that, does that carry over with the geckos or is that they just are not as picky?
3: Um, I think mom's going to take a couple days or a couple hours or however long it takes her to find the ideal laying area. Yeah. So I try and replicate that with that little nest box, which is, I'll be honest, it's not really a nest box. It's a deli cup full of wet sand with no standing water, and I cut a hole in the side and I you know, I melt the edges of the plastic with a lighter so it's rounded and smooth and not jagged. Mm-hmm. And the next the next day when I wake up in the morning, I'll see that all the sand was kicked out of it, you know, because you could tell the difference between the wet sand and the dry sand. And I know that she was in there rummaging around. Um, and then I pick up the deli cup and I look at it and I'm like, boom, there's eggs. Um, other times it's not that simple and I've had them where they buried them and I, I lost them. You know, they were they were fertile eggs and I she buried them in dry sand because she didn't want to use that box. And they just went bad over over the 24 hours that I didn't know they were there. So, you know, I've had I've had really bad luck with post I guess postpartum eggs, I like guess you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's Florida, so mold is a huge factor in the incubators. Yeah. Um, and like I've had too many horror stories with beaded lizards and Gila monsters and cobra eggs and just stuff that. You know, I open the thing too much. I open the door too much. I'm like, oh, let me look at the eggs. Let me look at the eggs. Let me look at the eggs. And all I'm doing is letting invisible spores of mold go into the incubator. It's hot. It's humid. It's damp. And they just start growing fuzz, you know? So um, mom has to find the perfect environment of moist, moist sand that's the right temperature that she can bury them in there, make it look like no one was ever there, and then never look back ever again.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. So. Now, is there any kind of um, designer knobtail thing out there where people are crossing some of these subspecies together to try to see if they can make something cool-looking or fun-looking, or is it just strictly the um, breeding what we know to be pure or what we think is pure?
3: So, I think that there is way more het stuff than anyone ever realizes because— you have, like, for example, in the centrillion geckos, you've got. Oh, there's a lot of hypo out there, Man. and the problem is, is that you'll get someone who bred a hypo to a normal, and then you'll have hypo to hypo. And I'm not, a, I'm not a morph guy at all. Like, I'm just not. It's just not my cup of tea. So I don't right. know the whole genetics of percent wise, what's what, but. I'm sure that there's a ton of head stuff. And like I said earlier with the pilvarensis, almost every single one is albino. Now, you also have a lot of, in terms of the Levees complex, which is the smooth geckos, accidental hybridization of subspecies. And like one might say, well, it's not a hybrid. You know, it's a naturally integrate and, you know, they would do it in the wild. Yeah, that's because they're subspecies. They're part of the same species complex. But mm-hmm. it's, still, it's still a cross, you know what I mean? And right. I'm sure that there's been people that have done it on purpose to Uh, to produce a particular line, right? Because we Mm -hmm. love lines. Lines are friggin' awesome. Uh, Lines make the cool stuff that we love and the more unique and the more unique and the more unique, but there's other people that say there is no such thing as Pilbaraensis in the United States anymore because they're all hybridized, they're all mudded out. Who the hell really knows? Oh, this one's super-duper dark red, so it must be Pilbaraensis. Well, no, it's just a good-looking Levees, you know? Right. So, I'm sure there are other breeders that are, have way more geckos than I do that have you know, can can answer that question better than I can, but I don't think people are doing it on purpose. Simply because there's only so many of them in the country. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. it's a legitimate commodity, and the more you take out of that commodity pool, you've now lost, you've lost product, so to speak. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Once you start muddying the waters, it's done. Yeah.
3: Right. Right.
0: Okay. Now, um, when it comes to your females, do you do any kind of further? I know you said you already dust and supplement. Do you kind of add more to the girls going into breeding season or you just kind of keep it to where it's at? Um,
3: you mean the supplement or food in general? Yeah. Supplement and food in general. Let's go with both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, food in, food in general is definitely because I want to simulate that spring. You yeah. Know, everything's growing. Everything's blossoming, you know, metaphorically and physically. And, obviously she's eating more so she's getting more
0: more supplements
3: from the got it. right more supplement right so it's not that I'm dusting the crickets with more powder it's just she's naturally getting more because she's eating more crickets that happen to be dusted does that make sense
0: yeah, it does it does because like the yeah, food increases yeah. you're getting more of the stuff so I got gotcha. you um, right now, how often do you put the pairs together do you just put the boy in and good luck buddy or do you have to like pull them out put them back in put them out put them back in um, um I do oh, okay. it.
3: I, I do it as much as I can without freaking them out. Okay. So, so like I know. All right, this is. I'm gonna do a pairing on Monday night. So I'll take the male. I'll put him in with female number one, and I'll sit there for a second and I'll close the drawer just enough so like I can peek in, but they're not hmm. really looking at me, okay. and I'll start to watch the interaction. And you know, so if she starts peacocking back at him. I know this is going to be a no show. So I'll okay. give him five, maybe 10 minutes and then I'll pull him out. Cause I know most is going to happen. And then I will put him back in his tub and leave him be for the night. And then maybe I'll, I'll wait maybe a day or two and do it again with the second female. But then that first female, then I'll put male number two in there. Maybe she just didn't like the first guy. You know, yeah. she didn't like his haircut or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll cycle that way. Now, once I get copulation, I close the drawer, I walk away, I leave him alone. And, I have not yet had any permanent damage to each other because they do bite each other a lot, especially the male. The males basically will bite the female on the nape. And then well, so let's, let me rewind for a minute. So let's pretend like the girl's receptive. The male goes in, he starts peacocking. Hey baby, look at me. Let's do this thing. She will basically lay there and say, all right, let's go. Mm -hmm. So she lays there, she flattens out and she may shift her body from side to side to, you know, better facilitate the male's attack on her because at some point the male is going to latch onto her nape. He's going to bite her on the back of the neck. She may move a little bit because let's face it, she's getting bit. Um, And then she'll basically arch her back and curl her tail so that he can get up from the side so they can get pelvis to pelvis. But both of their backs are still vertical. Like there's no rolling per se. Um, It's just kind of like an angled approach to go pelvis to pelvis. Um, I've had ones that copulated for five minutes. And then I've had ones that copulate, wow, I can't talk tonight, copulated for like two hours. Um, and basically, what I'll do is I'll just leave them alone. And then when they're done, I'll separate them. If she looks like she's annoyed with him, I'll take him out. Um, if they look like they're fine, I'll leave him in there. You know, they may do it two or three more times that night, but while I'm sleeping, who knows? And then whatever happens the next day, I'll definitely take him out and give him a break. Uh, there's a, a whole thing that people talk about with nobtails of never keep a male communally with females during breeding season, because he will literally breed himself to death. So he'll continue to copulate and he'll stop eating, he'll stop drinking, all he'll want to do is is, is make love. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now you have an, an emaciated, you know, anemic anemic gecko. So I don't want him to get in that mindset. So I break it every every night or every session or whatever you want to call it. Okay. So,
0: um, now that you, you know, let's say you, you you know, you get the eggs and all that fun stuff, how how do you set them up for incubation?
3: So, I've had horrible luck, me personally, with perlite. And it's, perlite's awesome. I love perlite. I've done it with countless other eggs. But, these knobtails, man, I just have bad luck. I think it might be my house. Maybe it's the humidity of my house, but I just my eggs get rotty and gross on Perlite. So I'm using straight vermiculite. I'm doing the normal vermiculite mix. Um I have them in deli cups with a crap load of air holes. And I have the little egg trays from sim containers, so I place them in that. And that's worked really, really well. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deviate just because, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Heck yeah, and basically I'm keeping it a, a really? I'm keeping it between like 83 and 84, um, and then the humidity I'm keeping it probably realistically in the 75 80 percentage area.
1: Okay, I could be okay. wrong on the humidity. How how many days do they take to hatch?
3: Um, it's long, and it depends on the species. I actually have my notes because I never remember, so just mm. bear with me for a moment sure. um, while I pull this up.
0: Sorry, so uh, like Eric, for... did you know olives take 70 days? Mm-hmm. You who didn't know that? You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you,
1: you didn't do your homework.
0: I, it's the jello at the wall method, you know. <laughs> Holy crap, there are eggs here. Who would have thought this? Oh, and you did put the male in with the female. Right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, now we so, know. <laughs> all right. So because I'm, because I'm horrible at this and I always have to like put notes and reminders in my, in my and calendar and stuff. So like the rough complex. So that's going to be like the Asper and the Amy AI. Those are usually like 70 to 85 days. Um, the standard Wheeler eye is, um, I'm looking back just to make sure I don't say this wrong. Um, yeah, Incubation on them is usually like 50 60 days. Same thing with the synctus. The synctus I've had synctus eggs that went to like 72 days mm-hmm. and they were totally cool. You know, um, I'm one of those guys that, unless it is literally liquefied, moldy, disgusting mess, I will not touch that egg. Um, I'll leave it be, let it go full term, and then if it's you know four or five days past what it's supposed to do, uh, I'll, I'll pip it with like a really, really tiny needle just to kind of see what comes out. If some good amniotic juices start flowing out, then, you know, I'll cut it a little bit. And one time I had a little baby go Bloop, and pop his head out. Other times there was nothing. It was just a bad egg. Huh. Okay. Um, one time I actually, I got super excited because I had this one female that's like just an awesome looking animal, man. Just like crisp bands, Bright orange color, big pretty eyes. And I was like, man, these babies are going to be awesome. And she gave me two flawless eggs. And I put them in the incubator. And I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to check them every night. So I had the little light, the LED light, so I'd look at them and they look fine. And I look at them and they look fine. And this goes on for the full, you know, 55 days.
4: Right.
3: And when the when the geckos lay the eggs in the sand, you know, I use red sand. Yeah, it's dyed, but it looks cool. Whatever. Right. So, the, the eggs are red with the sand. They're all they're covered in it because it's stuck to it. So I try and dust them mm-hmm. off of my finger best I can, but they're still that red color. So right at the 60-day mark, I'm like, you know what? Let me candle them. Let me see what's going on. I took out the first egg, and it crumbled like tissue paper in my hand. Oh, no. And I was like, what is this? So I'm, like, touching it. There's no moisture at all. And I wound up taking the other egg, and I took – um uh. And like an exacto blade, like a little scalpel head, and I mm-hmm. gently just started to cut the side of it and it was perfectly hollow. Almost like those eggs that you know, they blow the contents out and it's just like yeah. a perfect display. Yeah. So like, Yeah, I got I got an ostrich hollow. egg. Yeah. Exactly ostrich egg or emu egg or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I had this these two perfect gorgeous textbook eggs completely hollow devoid of all moisture and this was during those perlite days that the perlite was still moist and the humidity in the thing was fine and I realized that they were just infertile eggs but because the sand had caked itself around the exterior of the egg it almost like mummified it and like petrified it and made it look perfect and that's why for 55 60 days it looked champion but wow. they were completely infertile. They were total duds. And it was a waste of my uh, emotions.
0: <laughs> that <laughs> sucks.
1: <laughs>
0: Damn. Yep.
3: That sucks, man. Wow. Yeah. And the the worst part was uh, I, I gave her, like, some time off. And this year I tried to breed her. And she just does not want to be bred. And I think I think maybe, I, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. Or maybe she just doesn't like my boys. I have no idea. But I, I got to do something with her.
0: So there was something in... Um... Leopard geckos. Um, that sometimes I guess if the eggs are incubated too hot, you can get a female that will act like a male, and they'll actually get big and beefy or something like that. Um, anything like that with nobbies or anything like that that you've seen?
3: No, not that I've seen. I mean, okay. from what I've gathered is is that it, it's just like almost like snakes, where you breed them too early you're going to have complications. If you breed them too early and they're too small, you're going to have small eggs. And, and I've seen where it's made really small babies and like yeah. the baby's healthy. It's just tiny, you know? He, We're, yeah. you know, I'm talking one and a half, two grams, if that, Dear God. and, uh, I know it's, it's so it's adorable, but it's like nerve wracking. Um, so then I've also seen where, sorry, my brain just like hit reset button. Cause I'm thinking <laughs> about these babies. <laughs> um, I've also seen, where you have, you know, big mom, big dad, big big egg, you know, and that's yeah, that's awesome. There's a leopard gecko thing. What is it? Where I guess if it's like eighty three degrees, it comes out male, or like eighty six degrees, it comes out female, or something to that capacity. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um,
0: that's what it was. I, I used to know those temperatures, okay. but I don't keep geckos, so I, I don't. Yeah,
3: this yeah, is not I mean, snake I, information. I out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I don't have enough room on memory bank for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> As far as I know, there's nothing like that with knobtails. However, okay. there's actually a lot of people that with certain species, I think it's uh, the centrals, the aspers, and I think the delini, that almost every time the people that have held back their clutches, so it's two eggs at a time, two eggs at a time, two eggs at a time, the people who have held back the full clutch and not sold any babies, mm. they grow up to be a pair. What? And, like, people are saying, yeah. and like <laughs> They'll produce the a male and a female every time? Yeah, every time because they only have two eggs. So I don't know if that's, you know, huh. people talking out their butt or if that's a fact or not. But I've heard that from a lot of people, both stateside and in the in Australia, that, you know, they held back, you know, three or four clutches and they have exactly three or four pairs.
0: Huh. That is so uh, cool. If that's true, that is yeah. so goddamn cool.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, God, and, I wish like, would I know,
0: sophisticated. I wouldn't have somebody right? Carvers How great would males. that mean? Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ.
3: <laughs> right. And I know there's been a lot of people that say that you know the babies are fragile and you know oh they die really easy and blah blah. blah. I look at it this way. Mm. I've had a, I've had a lot of babies die. I'll be honest. And some of it was from me. Some of it was probably from genetics. Some of it was from, we have no idea what's going on in that baby's body. You know, that baby could have been born with a heart murmur. That baby could have been born with partial organs. You know, you have no idea. We don't do MRIs. We don't do CAT scans on, you know, microscopic echoes. So it's difficult for us to say what really happened when we lose a baby. Um, yeah. But in the wild, they're surviving. They're making it to adulthood despite only having two babies a year. You know, it's not like a veiled chameleon that has 50, 60 eggs because, you know, in theory – Eighty percent of them are going to get eaten by other animals. The right. species that only has two babies a year, maybe four babies if that female is lucky. So the babies have to be more resilient than we give them credit for. The problem is, I think that we in captivity are overstressed them out. Yeah. I'm convinced that babies need to be hardcore left alone. And uh, I've learned a lot from Nipper in regards to like the Boiga and some of the more arboreal stuff that is super secretive and doesn't want to be seen. And they do best when you just leave them be and don't stress them out. Mm -hmm. So we get this new baby gecko. We're all excited. Oh, my God, it's so cute. Look at this little wiggle butt. Look at it hunt. Look at it poop. Look at it do everything. And we're look at the gecko. Look at the gecko. Look at the gecko. But my babies, when I set them up, I don't feed them for like three or four days. I don't touch them. I don't look at them. I just leave them alone. When it's time for feeding, I throw the crickets in. I close the drawer. That's it. And I may not clean their cage for, say, three weeks, four weeks because I want them to just chill out. They just had a traumatic experience. They just flew across the country. They just took a major road trip in a car and a deli cup. Who knows? But Mm -hmm. I think that the stress really plays a a factor in, you know, Neos being, you know, uh, dying prematurely.
4: Gotcha. Okay.
0: Now, how do you set up the babies?
3: Um, I do thick paper towels. Um, you okay. don't have to use you don't have to use like an actual quote unquote thicker you know ply of paper towel. I just I triple them up, double them up, I make it like a cushion for them. Um, and I, I, I do more humidity with them than I do for the adults because they're just starting life. And I like the paper towels because I can watch the fecal. I can watch if there's any kind of abnormal, you know, uh, colloquial discharge or any kind of blood of any kind. I want to make sure that they're having full sheds and I'm not losing any shed skin, whether it be from the toes or the tail or whatever, in the sand. So I do paper towels and I miss them more than I do the adults because I want them to have that better microclimate, the better humidity, because they're still developing. They're still growing, you know? Right. I mean, humans, it takes, what, you know, 15, 16 years, sometimes 18 years for us to be fully grown. These guys are doing it in six to nine months. So I need to make sure that the conditions are optimal for them, and I can visually observe it. I know they're not getting mouthfuls of sand because they suck at hunting when they're born. They have to learn how to hunt. So with the babies, I'll feed one cricket. And then I'll go to the next one, I'll feed one cricket. I'll go to the next one, I'll feed one cricket. And then I'll go back to the first one and I'll say, okay, you ate your cricket, here's another cricket. And I'll only give them, you know, maybe one or two crickets, and the crickets I'm giving them are bigger than you'd expect because they got a big head, they got a big mouth, and I'd rather have them eat one good, big cricket than eat five little ones and not get the nutrients he needs. Right. If right. Yeah, they're only gonna catch one, make it worth it. Exactly, exactly. Okay. You know, and and, and they're so visually based in terms of, like, watching things and and, and out of the corner of their eye. And, like, if you put a cricket right in between their eyes, like right in front of them, they may not see it because they're always aware of their surroundings. They're always checking their peripheral. But if I put the cricket on the side, wham, they'll just grab it like a fly swatter. Awesome.
0: (laughs) Wow. Hmm. That's cool. That's so cool. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, Eric, did you have anything else you wanted to throw out there with this one, or do you want to just start going into the closing questions?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I learned a lot, you know, being a snake. Go ahead. Yeah, that's That's a weird thing, man. It's like, it's like, you know, sometimes just in general, I mean, obviously in this situation, it's a little bit different for you, but like just in general, man, sometimes we take for granted what we have in our collections and, it's like oh, you're yeah. always trying to grab the next thing rather than, you know, try to, like, take a step back and take a pause and say, okay, you know, like, I was doing that the other day with olive yeah. pythons. I had my olive pythons out, and I'm like, shit, man, I got olive pythons. How badass is this?
3: Yeah, I love, <laughs> you love know? Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, dude, how many times, you know, I used to work for all the importers, and, like, we would get in these animals all the time and they were dirt cheap and I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll just get one later. I'll just get one later. I was mm-hmm. like, ah oh, no, nah, Tanzania is not closing down. I'll grab <laughs> one in the future when I have more cage bitch! Yeah. Space. Yeah. yeah. And now stuff that was, you know, thirty five dollars is, you know, ten grand or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, we used to get in a we had a contact uh, that had uh, how do I phrase this? They were legitimately exported out of Kenya, but let's just say that their country of origin may have been Ethiopia. Okay. And uh, uh-huh. you remember the Parviacula, the Bittis Parviacula, the Ethiopian mountain adders. Uh-huh. So yes. there's a there's a range of mountains and like plateaus that borders Kenya and Ethiopia, and that's where you get a lot of the um, the Ashes spitters, the big giant you know the giant Ashes cobras, and you get a lot of a lot of cool terrestrial lizards and stuff out of there. But one of the coolest things is those Bittis Parviaculas, neon green, you know the pseudo rhino vipers, and I remember we were importing them by the buttload. And it was like, ah, it's another as you know. Yeah, it's pretty, it's green, whatever. I'll get one later. I'll get one that, And now it's like, no, they're five grand, and you know, good luck. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, the problem is, is that uh, what is it? Right now, Outback brought in the Mexican Mexican burrowing pythons, and yeah, I've seen them all over the place. And and, and I, I remember somebody was talking to us about them, a couple shows ago or might have been a couple years ago Eric and it's like it's a pissed off brown python that nobody cares about I'm like yes (laughs) like so now they're here and I'm like and I'm sitting there I'm like 1200 steep dude 1200 steep and I got to pair up some other animals here but damn it I want these things just because God only knows when you're going to see them again and I'm like uh I hate this. It's a pissed off brown snake that'll never breed. That I yeah, it's it's everything I've (laughs) ever wanted. In your wheelhouse. Yeah, Uh, you're right in there. Yeah.
3: So, well, it's like those Congo water cobras that nobody gave a shit about until they were legitimately described. You know, they they got this big mottled lapid that loves water and is a pain in the ass and eats fish. It's got a hood that it never uses. It's super duper toxic, and all it does is poo on you. And everyone's like, ah, whatever, they're cool. And all of a sudden, they come up with a, a paper that actually classifies them as Naja Nana. And now everyone and their mother has to have one. You yeah, know? It's
0: that, I like the I, set, I, man.
3: I lo- it's that whole...
0: Dude, those cycles are just crazy. Because it's like, really? This shit's been around forever. Like, what was it? Mexican yeah. Black king When They had a rush the last couple of years. It's like, really? Like... Yeah. I wanted to buy a pair for, like, 80 bucks, and they're, like, $400 each, please. I'm, like, what the hell happened? (laughs) Like, I turned my back, and something happened with
3: these things. Like, I don't know. Oh, I got one that takes the cake in in that Mm. regard. I used to take a lot of bad cell phone pictures because, like, let's face it, 10, 15 years ago, there was – there were cell phone cameras, but they were garbage compared to what Motorola were. Motorola Razer. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. My, my LG flip phone. Like, come yeah. on. So, <laughs> so, you know, here I am sticking the, the, the top half of my LG flip phone in a deli cup to take pictures of stuff that I probably should have been taking pictures of. But I'm, somebody posted an article about a newer species of atherist that they found in the DRC. And they're basically saying, you know, it's very similar to Broadly Eye, but, you know, it has this markings and that markings. It's more heavily keeled and blah, 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 blah. So it's pretty cool. So I comment on it. I'm like, man, that looks really cool. I think I've, I think I've seen them before. I think Somebody had them, you know, a decade ago, whatever. Yeah. Well, whoever was part of that group chat or whatever was like, I guess, got curious and started looking through my old Facebook photos on like my Snake album and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he found I had them at Strictly. And we thought that they were just ugly squams. <laughs> oh, and like, shit. He's sending oh my me, god! Yeah, like he's sending me my own picture. He's like, dude, did you know you had this? And I was like, what the ugly squam? He goes, no, man. Look at the head. Look at the scales. That's the blah blah blah, the new one. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And sure as heck, exactly, like I like. Like I had it and didn't know it, you know.
0: And because it was ugly, you probably sold it for cheap. Like you know, it probably <laughs> went like, it. Pro- oh, there probably. Uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I'm like, oh God. <laughs> I
3: think, I think, you know, co- colored atheras ten years ago they're like 40 bucks, whatever.
0: Yeah. You know, we oh, used my... to
3: get in a. You ever seen the uh, Nippers gonna freak out when I'd say this, but the um, the Kenyan mountain. Uh, atheris, the Disei. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we used to get Desai in it strictly. And everyone was like, oh man, these are so cool. You know, they're like this rich navy blue with bright highlighter yellow. And they're just, you t- take care of them just like squams. They're, they're just good, hardy, arboreal tree vipers. And we were selling them for like a buck twenty, I think. And now there's none to be found. No one has them. The people that breed them keep them to themselves. And like, it's one of the holy grails of the arboreal viper, you know, community. But like, we just gave them away for like a hundred bucks. Like, oh yeah, man, hundred bucks, whatever. It's wow. Like, like yeah, I'm kind of hoping
0: do, ring pythons know? dips down into the welcome to the show. Here's your free ring python because I need them again now. <laughs> so it's right, right. But oh my god, that, that you you always think about that stuff and it's crazy. It's always crazy, especially if you're the kind of person who's been in it for a while because you've given up animals that like a year or two later you really regret. Then you know if you stay of in course. here long enough. Ten years, you really regret it. So
3: you know it's oh
0: yeah, it it sucks. But a couple of them. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Um,
3: But I'll tell you, I got I got no regrets, man. Like the stuff that I've kept, the stuff that I gave away, the stuff you know, because a long time ago too, like just because I did so much venomous stuff over the years, most of our venomous friends, like we just gave each other snakes because they were cheap enough, you know. Like I had one friend that he bred legions cobras, and legions are probably my favorite cobra. And uh, for those that don't know, it, it's, uh, it was a subspecies of Egyptians, and mm. they basically got blended in, the subspecies was taken away. Um, when they're born, they're like uh, a brown braided rope color on the bottom with a jet black head, and as they get older, they basically turn into black, jet black iridescence, like an indigo snake with a jet black hood. And they're, they're incredibly impressive animals. Uh, this, uh, the Atlas Mountains in mm. Morocco is where they come from. So my one friend, he bought a pair for, I think, 150 bucks for the adults he bred them he got six eggs he he gave away all the eggs to all of us and then we all had one and like that just doesn't happen i mean i i can't tell you the last time i even saw one for sale at all let alone a baby that somebody bred yeah you know we just took it for granted we just gave each other snakes now you almost can't do that i wish you could yeah
0: I mean, but that's what should happen with some rare projects because, you know, you don't ever want to be the guy that had the only breeding pair of this and lost it because something went wrong with your cages. Like, you know, yeah. you, you want to spread it out, especially if you're doing something with a rare species or a rare python. And, like, you know, you want to be able to make sure that if something goes wrong, the line or the species isn't lost. You know, it, yeah. it's just that's yeah. the way it goes. So, it helps when you have projects with people who are interested in the same species you are. So you can trade babies, you know, so you can also keep things a little bit more diverse. I mean, Riley and I bonded over the Madagascar hogs and stuff like that, because he's got them. I've got them and stuff like that. We're already talking about potentially breeding and then swapping babies to keep everything diverse and stuff like that, just to make sure that we, you know, keep it going, keep it, Keep keep these things happening so that, say, Madagascar mm-hmm. ever does get shut down permanently, they're not gone. So, right. Right. Yeah. right. But, um, yeah. Anyways, Eric, did you want to just uh, go through the closing questions and see what's up?
1: Yeah, go for it, man.
0: Cool. So, since we're talking about species that we've, you know... Had, not had, and crap like that. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> what would be, uh, if you could own any species without limitations of any kind, what would it be and why? Oh, man, you can't ask that, dude. That's, yes, I can. We do it every episode. Oh,
3: man. Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, I we, make, we, I make people, we make people. We make
0: people. Exactly.
3: It's been three hours know oh. what's happening. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, so I have particular species that I don't have, even Uh though I could, because I feel like I appreciate them more because I don't have them. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm. It It does. You know, I appreciate monitors because I don't have to clean them. Yeah. (laughs) So uh,
3: Yeah, I get you. I get you. Um, I think if we're talking geckos, I think those, those zebra banded uh, aspers that come out of the Cape York Peninsula, Uh I think those would be like it. Because it. it's it, they're they're the same species that you find in the the desert regions of like the Dajara and stuff, but they're first of all they look like friggin' purple zebras they're adorable they have big purple eyes and they're awesome but they're like a lowland swamp kind of knobtail which is unlike anything else in the genus mm-hmm. and it's the same species they've just adapted themselves to be like in a boggy jungly kind of environment you know very fossorial wet fossorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are none of those in the United States. I mean, I'm sure somebody has them, and they just don't publish it, you know. But there's a couple in Europe. But I would, I would kill to have those things. Those things are awesome.
0: That's cool. Um, so, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And uh, if herping, what would be the species you'd be looking for?
3: Oh man, this, so this is this is a trick question because. I want to say Australia and you know tour the continent looking for knobtails and tiger snakes and oh man if I could find if I could find every species of taipan in the wild that would just set me off man that would be awesome <laughs> but I I, I I have strict instructions from my conscience to not say that and to say join Nipper in Israel and look for uh, Deboya Palestine. Okay. Because that is a trip that I legitimately plan to do in the future is I'm going to go to Israel with Nipper and I'm going to let him show me the ropes and find some big pissed off Israeli vipers. <laughs> That's cool.
0: That's that is cool. cool. Yeah. Love that. I mean, man, if I could see any, any viper species you know i'm going straight for the spider tail just because those things are just so goddamn cool but oh yeah dude and you just have to watch it you just have to watch yeah. it work. you know like i throw a bird at it like i
3: mean like I oh would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here kill it like, <laughs> <laughs> oh and why did you bring a butterfly net to you know the mountain? it'll all oh, become clear see. when we
0: find the you'll viper see. okay right. <laughs> right right yeah yeah. <laughs> that is a cool speaker. <laughs> nice. um, all right. So uh, how, uh, w- how would people be getting in touch with you if they wanted to talk about nobbies or anything like that? You want to throw your contact information out there?
3: Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's Nobtail. It's at Nobtails.ig. That's like the main gecko page, and it's basically just some of my own geckos and a ton of reposts from other people. You know, I show some breeders, show some captive bred stuff, but I try and show most of the stuff in the wild. That way we can credit the the field photographers who are doing the, the hard work out in the field, and we get to see them in the natural habitat you know what i mean like yeah they're adorable in a terrarium or in someone's hand but like in the wild that's just that's the money right there and obviously yeah. i'm thousands and thousands of miles away so i have to live vicariously through those photographers um <laughs> if you want to see uh, i do post some snakes on the story mode of instagram on that not but it's mostly just geckos if you want to look at some snake stuff i have another page it's on my personal page it's still the wolf on Instagram, and uh, there's a ton of crap about snakes and lizards and whatever else you want to see, cigars, you know.
1: Yeah,
0: all that fun stuff.
1: Awesome. Doesn't Justin call you the Wolf of Wheeler Eye? Isn't that the name?
3: He does. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, that's it. Oh, I did my not, God. I did, not, I, did not, I did not ask for that name. He was... He was it was assigned.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh,
1: <laughs> that's cool, though.
0: That is. That is, that is very cool. Yeah.
3: Cool, man. I well, need more of them, man. I gotta, I gotta build up that novell army.
0: <laughs> small, a small, little, tiny army of yep. little frog mouths. Yeah, that's awesome.
3: I always sit on the fence with yep. these
1: guys. You know, it's like one of those things. Like, ah, do I take the plunge? Is it like, you know, it's like. Well, those- remember
0: the last time you tried geckos?
1: Well, that was what you call geckos. Yeah, well, yeah, and that was like, I'm going to breed them, and da, da 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 I think I talked about
3: that. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, well don't, don't do that. Just,
1: just I just get want one in a like,
3: naturalistic Yeah, yeah. Just get a thing. tank and let yeah. it see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude.
1: And you
0: know what? Yeah. If you have one in a tank, you can stop by Petco and get some crickets every once in a while and chuck them in there. I mean, yeah. like, of yeah, you don't you don't have to keep a cricket colony.
1: I might give them a try at some point. I mean, they are cool, you know, and I'm cool. if I see them in the wild, that will just like solidify it for me a hundred percent. So I'd rather have it. And then of course, see it in the wild and be like, Oh my God, I have that in my list. Yeah. And
3: there's, 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 there's breeders that are always have like spare males, you know what I mean? And the the animal's awesome. It's a stellar looking critter and it's reasonably priced because it's surplus male. So the breeders are, they're more apt to you know say, Hey, you want a cool pet? Here's a cool pet. Right. You know, and, and, I don't want to sound like you'll be more attentive to it cuz you only have the one, but that's a fact, you will. You know, yeah. you'll appreciate it more cuz you just have the one.
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's a kind of if you do it naturalistic and kind of kick ass, that that's the kind of tank you have in the living room. You know. Yeah, exactly.
3: Thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean
1: like most, you know, we're snake guys at heart, right? Or at least you know, and are. I, right. think, I, think, Absolutely. Yeah, I think
3: you are 100%. Well, you know, I mean,
0: yeah, I think most of your animals don't have legs or the majority of the ones you've worked <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah.
1: But I so. think, yeah, exactly. uh, I think it's cool to do something different You're, And, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of times, at least the people, the listeners that I'm talking to, they're always looking for something, you know, something different, you know, and this would fit sure. to that wheelhouse, you know, just something different that you could, uh, kind of get a little taste of Australia and, uh, you know, just seems like Absolutely.
0: I would say that yeah, because man. you know Eric you've tried breed you've tried keeping or breeding several species of snake that are that deviate from Australia and have been kind of like not impressed with some of them that potentially maybe the next thing is just to stay in Australia but deviate out of snakes you know dip into geckos Yeah, I've, <laughs> I, yeah. I I know. think
1: I don't know if this got recorded or not but I think Rob was sort of telling you know taking taking his little shot at me about like oh yeah the guy that wants to keep every species of python and all that kind of no oh, no,
0: he and said it it was in there it was, <laughs> so, right? okay. yeah it was there and it's like, he's like we've been very supportive of you and he's like yeah owen and i both were and i'm like no we weren't <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you're we're not, like this you're, is you're dumb you're, you're dumb <laughs> straight. like
1: tell me like what are you doing man is, <laughs> like,
3: like, what are you not, doing it's you not doing? a
1: yeah. good idea this dude like good.
3: yeah but, um, well, that's, that's how I got that. That's how I got that water python, man. I was I was literally at my friend's shop and he got a couple, you know, a couple male babies, those yeah. yearlings, whatever the hell they are. And I, I look at him. I'm like, oh, my God, there's Queensland Fuscus. I need this in my life. And I immediately texted Billy Hunt. And I was like, Billy, talk me out of this.
0: No, no, like the emoji. that was your first yeah, he, mistake. Yeah. You
3: texted Billy.
0: Like, that was your, yeah, like, exactly. how many times I do this yeah. to Eric? I'm like, tell me not to buy this. And he's like, do it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you're supposed, uh, yeah. no. Well,
3: you're supposed to say no. Say <laughs> no. Right, right, right. And what's funny is I went to the store because my buddy got some, uh, some like eight month old stonewashed brettles that he got from Ralph. Uh-huh. And I was, I went there to go look at the friggin' stonewash. And Left I'm like, with the water right <laughs> Yeah I I need this this ugly ass water python in my life right now. Right. And I texted Billy and Billy was like, "Why are you asking me? You know my answer." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, my
0: my, my fiance is bad like that too. I'm like, "Honey, I don't think I want uh, I talked me out of the snake." She's like, "Do we need it?" I'm like, "No, you're not you're not no. The answer was just no. The answer is just don't." Yeah. yeah no. Yeah.
1: Well, so. the, the other part of it too is my wife is kind of looking for something. She wanted to get a bearded dragon, you know, and I was like, Yeah, well, yeah, no, uh, kill that. I like, said. come you on. Like, can yeah. you know, we, can, we can do a little bit yeah. better than that, you know. Nothing wrong with bearded dragons, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not nope, saying that. No, but, but they do like need a little
0: bit more vegetables and crap. And, well, and yeah.
1: Well, right, not only right. that, I was telling her, I was like, I was kind of showing her, I was like, Well, these knobtail geckos are, you know, like you were saying, they're. They kind of have like this cute look to them. You know what I mean? And I can just see Dory being right. like all over that. Like, oh my yeah. God, look at its eyes and look at it. Uh
0: huh. <laughs> and it'll do that little gecko thing. Yeah. And, if it, and if she watches it like stand and twitch its butt everywhere, like, yeah, done. Yeah, she wanted see. something you oh, know, yeah. set
1: up in like. Now I episode.
0: know why we have a knob tail episode. I get it. Research.
1: No, no, it's not that. I've been thinking this for a long time. But uh, no, I wanted to talk to Phil, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I wanted him to to be able to push these knobtails because I uh, that, he did. Uh, yeah, I think
0: he did a good job. With that and now you're screwed. So
1: well, I think <laughs> I that most most it. of the people that listen to this show love Australian reptiles and uh, they know, have
0: long course.
1: Uh, Wrong place, yeah. I love always like you know stepping outside of uh, what we normally do.
0: So, yeah, no, I, and you know what? Like, like I told you, we had that one show with Justin. I've been like, I like knobbies. I should get knobbies. And it's like, no, no, I can't. There's too many other projects. So, see, too what's much of gonna, the shit, right? this is
1: what's going to happen, Phil. I'm going to get a knob tail, and he's going to come to my house and be like, oh. no,
0: oh, oh, oh. <laughs> see, look, he's even like making do all noise the noise now. time. He yeah, you exactly know. A... Oh. shut up. Oh, God, well,
3: what, you, what you have, what can I do, do with it? that? You gotta you gotta send you gotta send a picture of how you gotta find the most adorable cute picture of the big googly frog eyes, right? Of yeah. your gecko that's in your enclosure, and you gotta send it to Owen's girl. And uh, then you're like, oops, I'm sorry. That was he, that was He's already Owen. done
0: Oop. roundabout ways to kill me with that. I mean <laughs> he's been like, I'm not gonna send it to you. i like uh, you
1: bastard. <laughs> like, we are on like, the yeah, same no. page, Phil. We are on the same page. Yep. <laughs> that's it, man. That's yep. it. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to I'm trying to think what will we have? Uh colony nobbies
0: in my freaking nightstand. It'll be like where the hell did these come from? <laughs> like, yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Oh, cool, <laughs> man. Cool. So uh also we should throw a plug out there. Snakes and stogies, man. Uh yeah, thank is there, you. Is there is there a
3: certain data you guys
1: do that? I know you,
3: or like, do you guys just yeah. Play by ear. It, it's been it's been tough. Um because you know, Justin has a bunch of different media things that he does with the magazine and the the Herbiculture podcast and everything else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Herbiculture Ultra magazine is really taking off great, and we're loving doing everything with it, and we got so many great contributors, and Justin and Billy just do a straight-up awesome job in the magazine that we kind of have been, you know, putting Snakes and Stogies kind of like, I don't want to say on, like, hiatus, but it's definitely on the back burner. So, like, we're trying to do Sunday nights, Sometimes we'll do it Monday. I know last week we had to switch it up because uh, the guests that they had on the Herpetoculture podcast had to switch days. So we're kind of playing it by ear. But if you go to Justin's uh, YouTube page, which is Palmetto Coast Exotics, Mm -hmm. we actually uh, live stream it onto Palmetto Coast Exotics YouTube channel. And that way, you'll see every single video, and you can just chime in that way. And we're, we're talking about making a, a YouTube channel just for sakes and Sogies, but for now, we'll just use his uh, Palmetto Coast Exotics and uh, keep it going.
1: I'm going to throw my little hat in the ring for this, and you know, you take it as you will. But you know, I think you guys should make that a, a like a podcast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can get it on a podcast yeah. app. And the reason is is because yeah. a lot of times, like. If I'm driving in the car, which is where a lot of the times I'm listening to a podcast, I can't get like the YouTube just drops in and out, you know, and yeah, it's yeah, Cause you uh, drive,
0: okay. it, yeah it has to stream it with because you can't you just, can't uh, minimize YouTube without it, you know,
1: yeah, you can't. Yeah. It's just that yeah. connection is is bad. You can right. download it, just I guess, the, but like you know, just know. to upload the audio to a I'm podcast. Not I'm not trying to give Justin more work.
3: <laughs> you know what I mean? I know yeah. he's got yeah. a lot of work. It
0: to a, uh, yeah, I'll do it. Justin, well, it, upload it to a podcast it, thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's honestly what I was thinking is uh, we originally talked about how we were going to put it on. We were going to put snakes and stogies on the Herbiculture Podcasts Podcast channel thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that way it would just, it was, you know, every other THP episode could be a snakes and stogies thing. But, we realized that that would severely mess up the statistics and the data of, of the actual normal herpetology yeah. podcast. So right. what right. I what I plan on doing is probably just making a new podcast channel for snakes and dogies, and then just taking that audio from YouTube and just uploading it straight to that. But it's a work yeah. in progress. We're just having fun with it.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Cool. It's good stuff. Cool. Good stuff. So if you can check it out, definitely worth uh, worth the listen uh, for sure. But uh,
3: yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks.
1: Thanks for coming on and uh, Good, spending some time with
3: us. Hey, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome to chat with you guys. And, you know, I am a listener as well, so it's it's really cool to do this with you guys. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, yeah man. Thanks for uh, thanks for popping by and educating us on the Venomous and the Navis.
3: So, yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's what I do. <laughs> cool. I appreciate, everything, I <laughs> I appreciate everything you guys do for everything. It's awesome, man. You guys are stables in this community, and I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Thanks a lot, dude. Likewise. So,
3: you. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll catch.
0: Night. Yeah, we'll catch up with you at a Carpet fest if those ever happen again, and uh, or a show if those ever happen again. <laughs> so.
3: Yeah, you guys need to. Well, Daytona's still on, man. As of right now, so you guys need to come down for Daytona. Because even if the show gets canceled for whatever reason, the only reason why they're gonna cancel a show is if the state makes them. Right. So, let's say the state does make them cancel. It's going to be one hell of a beach party.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wish I had thought this a little bit better cuz I would have just planned my vacation down there till then. But yeah, yeah I mean, I I'm go. not a
3: big fan of I'm not a big fan of Daytona as a whole, but right. I you damn well believe I go to that reptile show every year. Make a hell of a weekend.
0: Right. All right. I mean, it's so, what so. the hell? <laughs> I mean, dude, it's, it's yeah, a nice right? venue. It's it's a very nice venue. So, I went there yeah. a few years ago. So, yeah. Oh.
3: Yeah, and from what I gather, even with times of COVID, apparently this uh, is the biggest vendor sellout list they've had in like five, six years. Holy so crap. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Hmm. But again, thanks for bringing me on, guys. I really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, we'll talk soon. All
0: right, man. Thanks, man. Catch you with a letter. Awesome. Thanks.
3: Right.
0: See you. Yep. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. All right. Let's close this out, Owen. Um, Before I do, I yeah.
0: have to give props to uh, Mr. Francis. Pringle, because he did watch my collection while I was in Florida, and I told him I would give him props. There we are.
1: Next. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shout out.
0: Yeah, he did a good job. Okay. Nothing died, and everything had eggs, and he only panicked, texted me once. So, yeah. Only once? That's yeah. good, man. That's good. But I ate eggs. All right, take the eggs away from her. It's like, you know, it's like, shit. <laughs> shit. So... <laughs> Okay. Cool. Way to go, Francis. <laughs> good good job, Francis. See, I told him, see, now you had, uh, hopefully he stayed all three hours of the show to get to this point. Otherwise, he's just going to be bitching at me because I don't give him prom.
3: <laughs> right on.
0: See, I know, right? Jesus.
1: So, uh, yes, um, if you want to uh, follow us, uh, you can, whatever podcast app that you use, uh, you, can, uh, you can download the, the, subscribe to the show, get it uh, every week. Um, and, uh, if you want access to the archives that go back to 2011, holy crap, <laughs> you can go to blog talk radio, <laughs> blog, talk radio.com slash Python radio. Um, and you'll find, uh, the past episodes right there. Um, which is crazy that people are still listening to those, man.
0: I did. What is wrong with you? People find something else to do for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, you can follow the show uh, on our Facebook page, Instagram. Um, we also have, uh, you know, our group Murray pick of the week. Um, but uh, yeah, all those places, uh, you can see what we got going on. Our website is Murray And if you want to get in touch with us by email info, Murray by radio.com. Um, and then be sure to visit our Teespring store uh, if you want some yes. NPR swag. Um, Teespring.com slash store slash NPR.
0: Not for the love of God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just... As if you couldn't make it any easier.
0: Ah, son of a but, bitch. Uh, the, easiest way,
1: the easiest way to get to it is just go to um, our website, and there's a link that will take you right to the store. So if you want to support the show, that's this is how we do it. Um, and uh, you get some cool, some cool stuff, you know. If you like shirts, hats, stickers, uh, coffee cups, uh, posters—I forget what else is over there. But there's just
0: a bunch of stuff. And uh, you know, like I said, right now uh, I'm going to try to get some stuff up there. I know we've been contacting a couple artists, or we've been contacted by a few artists. Um, so we're gonna try to get. Uh, I'm gonna try to get some new stuff plugged in there. Maybe even revamp some of the other stuff. Uh, I know we dug up a lot of the old Carpetfest T-shirts, so we're gonna get that going. Uh, and then I think I'm gonna bug some artists that we know about a uh, 2020 Northeast Carpetfest T-shirt. Um, even yes. though we're not having it, I yes. want to get a logo out there for you guys to purchase for people who kind of just want to complete the set. Plus, I'm thinking we're going to try to uh, find some place for it to donate to. So we'll see what we got. Um, and, yeah, we'll just uh, go from there um, and we'll get everything plugged in. So
1: right. cool. And for me, ebmorelia.com. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Facebook and you can follow me on Instagram. And YouTube, um, yeah, I have babies that are—I uh, don't know—I'm think I'm three meals in, so I like to go five um, before I start to figure out what's what.
0: Uh, yeah, but, to, uh, to be you know, it, to be honest, uh, those jungles that hatched in April, I'm just getting them to take their getting some of them to take their fourth meal, and it's a mixture of like live, and then they finally took frozen thaws. And I've got people asking me when they're going to be available, and I'm like, not yet, because I don't want to just send it out and then have it either boomerang back or have to help coach somebody because it's not ready. So trust me, I'd much rather get rid of it. So yeah, yeah. And then I got a ton of babies coming up on on the back end now too. Yeah, dude, sure. I gotta do. I gotta figure out what rhinos do. Like, I mean. <laughs>
1: Yes, I figured you gotta feed them uh, our fish, next, right. <laughs> our next episode is gonna be uh just Owen and I. And uh we'll cool. talk, we'll give you an update on uh you know our seasons and because
0: Mass panic going <laughs> on over here.
1: <laughs> Owen's got a lot to update. Um so so cool much stuff. panic. <laughs> just, so we're gonna leave that as a cliffhanger. Yeah,
0: there yeah, we again. go. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Um, now now tune in next week. Right. When our heroes battle, whatever the hell else is going on.
1: Like, right. And then uh, I do have uh, I do have a couple of cool guests lined up um, after that. Absolutely. But uh, next next episode will be uh, just you know and so
0: cool. All That's right, all I got. so. For me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. Check out all the stuff we got going on at Rogue. You can also follow Rogue Reptiles on Instagram, which is rogue-reptiles, and on Facebook.com at Rogue Reptiles. Right now, currently, we just took pictures of all the babies that are currently for sale. Um, That's the uh, 100% Het Stonewash babies. Um, Coming up next, uh, there will be uh, some jungles, I just want to try to get a few more meals into them, and they'll be put up there. And then on the back burners after that, dude, there's going to be a lot of caramel stuff.
4: <laughs> nice.
0: Three whole clutches worth of caramel crap. So that'll be up there. Um, and, uh, dude, then it's, you know, the olives are going to be hatching soon. Like, I got more bread lye. And then the snow corn snake exploded. Like,
1: <laughs> there's so many. Eggs. It's supposed so, to be a cliffhanger, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, um, you're Shit, you're sharing I'm all ma- the secrets. I'm, this, I'm making up the sweeps.
0: All right. Um, so uh, yeah, well, if you want to reach out to me about any of those animals, just hit me up on uh, the website, Instagram, Facebook, book any one of those. Um, what we will say is thank you all for listening, and we'll catch everybody back here next time, next week, for some more a Python Radio.
2: Good night. When she's gone. It's now one